few minutes of quick recognition, uh, but then we'll we'll get going right after meeting comes to order. Ah. Well, my, my son asked, so what does that mean that you're on the state board? <laughs> <Some> more meetings. <laughs> but you'll be a part of all the fun festivals. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And because of that, that's how we got to the McAllen. We got invited down to McAllen to see theirs. So, so it's all over your Texas, not just in Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. You're not a maker. So how did you get involved in that? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Near my sixth Y'all be stuck in traffic because it was not friendly today. Awesome. Yes. So. Who's running late? I'm guilty by marriage. That's an ambitious woman right there, huh? Yeah. So we would go to different parades with the West Fest Parade. We were moving. No, you're more long distance. At their watermelon parade. And the guys in front of us are going, how come we never see a convention? convention for parades and Yeah, it's such a That's how it all started, So that original spreader. It's really cool, though, because um, as you meet people, like, um, I was on a session this year with the Harvest Department from McAllen. I can talk to him about the Harvest too. He was real blown away about the Capitol. He said, how did he get a seat? We wouldn't even tackle that. You got it. She said so, yeah. We had a meeting here. Are you, Chris, are you using the Google Drive? I've been on bit on it before, yeah. I just looked at the paper version today. Yeah. It wasn't the very one. Mm -hmm. Perfect timing. <laughs> if you go, do you have a Google account? Yep. If you go to share it, it's not there. It's not there. I'm surprised when this church laid it on my doorstep. And I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 So I flagged the email. I just go back to the email. I'm not sure. Sharing permissions are as well. Yes, we were trying to not show the things personally. I came in family and asked, like, what are those called? I was like, what are the names? But not a whole lot of both now of course it's one that I missed at the last yeah, yeah. we couldn't figure out something evolving the fisticuffs escaped our brain yeah you missed a lot actually yeah. <laughs> yeah. like a very good abbreviation fisticuffs are the meeting you hear anything about it? Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, now you just put a song in my head. <laughs> 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 You've been singing to a little baby elf, Elfie? Uh, no. <laugh
Yeah, I wanted to, but we were hosting. Yes, so I ended up smoking Did you do the big one? Pretty soon. We did the fun run, and then like the ninety percent of my family wanted to do that, so I walked. Okay. We, it was uh, a lot of fun. We did the so, fun run. Mm. Um, Somebody, uh, my kids just came out Elliot came up to us. Oh, really? And so he just kind of went in. Getting a little more alert. Meltdown. Okay. Being around. I didn't think it was going to be too much. From Casey the entire rest of the day. You know, all the things. How did you do with the tree lighting? Oh, man. Did he? Okay. Family. Bother him at all. Just y'all. Wife and the older boys are out of the house. My older daughter stayed home for last I had fun. I had fun. You guys went to the fun room? We did. Good. We had a good time. Rob did a great job. He's a good MC for the test network. I do. I forget. Everybody run it 15 minutes. Um, I don't remember what my brother-in-law did, but I think he came in second in his age. And he was upset that he got All lower. All lower guess what? Then uh, I think my husband and my son they ran it, but I think they. Did you categorize? Number like two, four pounds. Two to three. Ten or eleven. Nothing like that. We're gonna save it for us. It was about the fun. There were a couple people who were like, "I didn't even run." What about you? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so everybody on my tax return, uh, plus a girlfriend. I told, mm-hmm. I told Lindsay I wanted to. Uh, I'm so tempted, but I was up at 6 a.m. cooking <laughs> turkeys and everything. Yeah. Like, it's always hard to do that. Couldn't do it. <laughs> it was cold at first, but it turned out to be a really great day for it. So. They say you're either a, a mimosa, <laughs> sleep-in family, or a turkey trap family. Fortunately, we're not a turkey yeah, we wouldn't have done it unless he said all those free passes, but we didn't have to pay for it. I'm kidding. He didn't you know how he said, just let me know and I'll give you all a promo code so I can email him. Yeah, we can put a promo code. Well, he was like, well, here's the promo code for 30% off. I was like, hey, thank you. I put it in and it was completely free. Oh, wow. And I was like, I don't know if you meant to, if you did, thank you so much. And he was just like, no, I did not mean to. He was like, you're totally good. Y'all are fine. He was just like, I did change it so the rest of your family can utilize it. I was like, awesome. Thank I have to remind him of that next year. <laughs> Send us the free one. It, it, was, it was worth everything. Make a mistake again like that. <laughs> That's right. I enjoyed it. It was fun just to get out. No, we didn't run the we didn't oh, run or have fun, but I had <laughs> I did the winter the winter run, the snowman run a couple of years ago, and walked most of it and got a medal for third in my age group. Oh my God. <laughs> there were only three people in my age group. You said you're a winner in our Amanda accused me of pushing someone down the red way. 
Is that the one they had this last Saturday? Um, this was a couple years ago. It like the it's the ninth, I think. Yeah. Because um, this. So the people yeah. that shared it, they actually do it. Hi. Hello. Don't read it. We need it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they always. So like under the info. I'm Bob. We did. Um, it was a mess. Because <laughs> my whole husband and his whole family went up there at like 7 a.m. They cooked breakfast and they just had a good time. Then they're Hispanic, so they love to I went over there later with my little son, Evan. And we got separated and they put the barricade up. I couldn't get over. There was no water. There was no food. I was like, I'm going to starve it. You're on an island, right? Yeah. We president of the 4th of July parade actually had called the parade called City Hall and said, hey, put my name out there. We do this every year. We've had a parade for 57 years. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you have to let the Rangers had no interest in getting but, anything else. But, um, and they got Yeah, she's, 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 she's
People going there. People are doing it the right <laughs> Where way. Where was this? Yeah, this was in Detroit. Detroit. Oh, oh there. There are big fan base, too. Yeah. What about holidays? And that was the first one they had won really in like 30 years. years. We've not ever put it on there. I was going to Texas to be on a trainer scholarship. I was actually one of the diagnosed with we had to pack so all those boxes back, back up and then take yeah. them out the next day. I was wondering, what did they do with in San Antonio. Oh, wow. There's a lot of options. There's like eight ways to make sure you have everything. I mean, I hope they do something. Actually, Go far. Got you two speeches. So you could, I mean, honestly, like, the whole thing is stuck in my head now. No. Go far. That's really cool. So that's what I say. I just want to um, thank you for the, for the race. That was a lot of fun. All right, I'm going to call to order the meeting of Mansfield Parks Facilities Development Corporation for Tuesday, December 5th. At uh, 6.03 p.m., looks like everybody's here. And we will start with a work session. Quick announcement. Quick, quick. quick announcement before we go to our work session. All right, I have some exciting news. Yesterday afternoon, we were notified that at the TRAPS annual conference, it's going to be held in Galveston in late February. So we've got a leap day, February 27th to March 1st. We are going to win a few awards. In addition to sending numerous staff, as always, in the maintenance rodeo, a couple of teams will be competing in the irrigation assembly, and uh, we're three-time back-to-back-to-back state champions, so we've got two teams that are going to be vying to make it four in a row. Uh, but we also will be re- receiving the Promotions and Marketing Award for our three-ring ribbon-cutting ceremony from this past April, and we're going to win the Arts and Humanities Award for our Mac book reading with Lindsay Pipkin. So one of the Mansfield Zone wrote his first novel. Uh, so we're going to win those two awards. In addition to that, we are going to be four-time gold medal champs. So we will, as we get you know all the registration information, um, we, we do have the ability to, to register board members as well as staff. So we'll get that uh, going. So... Uh, Ann, come on up here. I want to recognize Ann. Come here. So Ann coordinates the majority of our nominations, uh, so she'll work. If we've got a planning design excellence, she coordinates with planning staff. If we have a rec program or activity, she coordinates with uh, the rec staff uh, to help, help submit all of these. Uh, but we also have some recognition uh, that uh, in our TRAPS North region, we didn't have a conference this year because the national conference was hosted here, but we had awards, and we were notified that Ann Beck won Recreation Professional of the Year. Wow. 
any other awards? And, that, and so when she got the, the, the note that we didn't win any, she sent a note to me, well, I guess we don't need to go to the Christmas party this year uh, because they were still going to have the award ceremony. And, and, but she had already committed to make a basket for a table setting and a door prize for that. And since we weren't going, so she was asking, and we were trying to figure out how to get her to this event, considering we weren't winning the awards. Who, who wants to drive to Las Colinas at rush hour for the events? And so we, we finally, you know, enough heads got together, and we figured out, you know what, we got the board meeting the day before, doesn't give her a lot of notice, but we can surprise her that way, and then she can still get there tomorrow and claim her award. Uh, so... We're here, her parents and her girls. <laughs> so, so I'm assuming she didn't know that reaction. We're all wondering. She's asking enough questions if she truly knew. But uh, oh, so for that, um, you're going to get the fancy award tomorrow. But we do have a certificate for Recreation oh. Professional of the Year signed by myself and our city manager, Joe Smolenski. This says, uh, Ann Beck is recognized for her significant contributions to the Mansfield Parks and Recreation and the greater parks and recreation community. She relentlessly pursues excellence and challenges us all to think outside the box and bring Mansfield nothing but the best. On behalf of the Traps North Region Awards Committee, congratulations. Y'all come on up. Y'all come on up. Aww. Come get a picture. We can take a picture out there in the, with the trees. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll let her escape. So we'll get to the fun stuff. We'll get to, to, to all right. So Jamie, are you with us now? You did. It'd be great if uh, I could have uh, screen sharing rights. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I thought we gave you that with the uh, with the host. So let me get that real quick. <clears throat> Not able to share your screen yet? Um, it's showing that I am sharing, but let okay. me try it again. Yeah, because we saw you a minute ago. Yeah. Can you see it now? Yes. All right. Yeah. Yes, we're good. All right, so uh, for those, we, I know we have a couple of new board members. Uh, Jamie Sabak is with a company called 110%. Uh, 
a consultant that has been working with us over the past year on essentially a cost recovery policy. It's our financial sustainability. So we've gone through a process. Most of the board members were involved in a workshop this past spring, giving some input, developing service categories, and then there was a lot of data analysis. So Jamie's gonna kind of give us a high-level overview of what we've accomplished over the last year, and then I'm gonna show some examples of the data that they produced for us and how we're, we're already starting to use that. So Jamie, I'll turn it over to you. All right, great. Thank you, Matt. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to visit with all of you this evening. Um, as Matt mentioned, I'm just going to provide you with a high-level overview of the process and, in particular, the methodology that was used to guide uh, the work alongside Matt and the entire team. Um, the intention, of course, uh, of this process was to help create a financial sustainability strategy for Mansfield Parks and Recreation. Um, the methodology used is one that's actually been used uh, quite often over the last decade um, and is uh, evaluated for effectiveness and continues to be by Penn State University. Um, we've got three legs that really form um, the, the stool, if you will, and they're the frame for the development of the process. And the end game um, is to create a tax use and revenue enhancement philosophy. So essentially, how is the organization going to consider uh, how it invests taxpayer resources? And how is it going to think about opportunities for revenue enhancement to stabilize and sustain the system, not just for the foreseeable future, but beyond? Uh, the three legs are those that you see on the screen. Uh, it's the creation of service categories, um, a beneficiary of service exercise, and of course, the cost of service analysis. The service categories um, really are a, a different way of thinking about the services provided by Mansfield Parks and Recreation. <clears throat> if you can think about the services provided being those leisure experiences offered and facilitated by the department, things like um, courses and classes and activities and shelter rentals and those kinds of things are essentially services. And the system actually has service areas, sports, parks, aquatics, and so on. Categories allow us to think about all of those services and those service areas through the lens of like purpose. And really what the, the principal reason for creating categories as opposed to looking at service areas or specific services is it allows us through the process to diminish social values, debates, and arguments. Uh, some might suggest that a particular program area might be more of a priority to the community, but that tends to be really diluted because we impose our social values into the conversation. So categories are a different way of thinking about bucketing services. Once the categories are completed, then we worked alongside staff and actually had an opportunity to visit with you to help craft and create the beneficiary of service model. And I'll be showing that to you here in a moment. And that allowed us to rank the categories from those categories that you believed and the staff believed align most with the common good in Mansfield in contrast to those services that were seen as more exclusive and more individualized and more specialized. And then, of course, behind the scenes, and this was really the, the heavy lifting of the process, was a very comprehensive cost of service analysis. And this is where we looked at all of the revenues and the expenditures associated with the operations, maintenance, management of the Mansfield Park and Recreation Department to arrive at current cost recovery levels. How, how were the services doing, essentially, as it related to cost recovery? And how are you investing taxpayer resources, those subsidies, to support different services? And those baselines essentially became an opportunity for the organization to determine what should our cost recovery goals or our subsidy investment goals be moving forward. And as Matt mentioned, he's going to get a little bit more granular with you in terms of some of the data and the work that's been done since. 
So I mentioned service categories as that kind of first leg of the stool. And the, the categories that were created uh, by the staff to represent the service menu are those you see on the screen. Those of you that were part of the beneficiary of service exercise may uh, recall seeing these. Uh, uh, might have a, a good memory relative to the service categories that were created. These are in, um, in no other order than alphabetical. Can they give you an idea of the kinds of categories that represent the, the robust service menu of the organization? The categories included definition to help create more clarity, and then further some examples that create even more clarity around the kinds of services that would live uh, under the umbrella of each of these categories. So this was uh, led by staff, and they did a phenomenal job in creating these categories, the definitions and the examples. Once those categories were created, again, we had the beneficiary of service uh, beneficiary of service, excuse me, exercise. We facilitated this with the professional staff as well as with you. Um, and the idea again was to rank the categories from those you believed align most with the definition of common good, being those services perceived and seen as essential, really the must-haves in the community, those that have high value, they tend to influence and affect the common good, the greater good of Mansfield. Um, they tend to not have competition with other sectors. Um, in contrast, those services, again, that are seen as more exclusive, more discretionary, those things that are nice to have, uh, highly individualized, highly specialized, and so on. And so this ranking really provided us a guidepost relative to how we were going to begin to think about subsidy investment and cost recovery expectations. Likelihood is that services on the bottom left are gonna receive higher subsidy investment, the services in the top right are gonna receive less subsidy investment, if any, and may even potentially provide you an opportunity to generate excess revenues. Again, the intention, high subsidy towards services that influence and affect the greater good in Mansfield, Texas. And finally, as a result of the cost of service work, all that uh, analysis that was done that, that Matt mentioned, where we looked at the revenues, looked at the expenditures, worked alongside the project team and your financial gatekeepers to really ensure that we were attributing the expenses responsibly and appropriately, that we were attaching your revenues to the correct services within each category. Once that analysis was done, uh, it, it resulted in uh, a better understanding of what the cost recovery performance of the services within each category was. And ultimately, uh, with a set of guiding principles, uh, the, the project team uh, made some decisions concerning what they believe the cost recovery and or, as you see on the screen, the subsidy investment would be made in each of these service categories. Again, bottom left, highly subsidized, your open access services, your parks, your trails, your playgrounds, things that affect and influence the common good, heavy access. In contrast to those services in the top right that tend to be more exclusive, more specialized, more discretionary, and so on, having a higher expectation in terms of cost recovery performance with less investment, if any at all, um, of subsidy. So I'm gonna pause um, because I know Matt wants to speak to implementation and some of the work that's been done as a result of this process. But I'm gonna go ahead and leave this uh, image on the screen. Okay. And I'm gonna actually show a few slides here, so I'll bring this back up in just a minute. Oh. Uh, Sorry, Jamie. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a couple of slides. I want to show them the Amelia dashboard. Uh, so we'll bring this back up in just a second. Okay. Okay. So the the really cool thing you all know that I love numbers, and so for this project, it was a lot of numbers. <laughs> um, and so the, one of the tools that the the company Amelia that, that Jamie partnered with for this analyzed 
about 600 different activities and programs for us. This was from the fiscal year 2022. We did this all during last year. And so this is the tool that we have access to with all of these different programs. So it is able to, to filter things any way we want them to. Uh, it gives you kind of an overview at the top of the 15 services that are furthest from the top cost recovery target um, goal. But just I want to show you this. Now I threw a couple of them on the slides for two reasons. One, in case this didn't work during the meeting, and two, it's kind of easier to flip through quickly. But these are, are those service categories that Jamie just talked about. And so what this dashboard shows is that right now we, we have zero revenue and zero expenditures for all these open access. But as you move across here, our, our uh, expenditures and revenue, you can kind of see, and then the difference between the two. So what this enables you to do is drill down on the various activities within each one of the service categories. So for example, sports field activities, this is a hot topic. Uh, if we drill down on that, it will bring up, I think I already had it up, so that's why it, it's showing up, I have to do it twice. I'll just click on another one. Okay, we're back. So it, it then re-crunches re all the numbers anytime you log in. So, all right, so there we go, all these activities in here. So if we click on sports fields activities, for example, it then brings up everything within that category. For, so for here, it's about facility use. And you can see the overall category shows our revenue for this category, our expenditures, and then our cost recovery. So in a minute, when we start talking about the ranges and our targets, this is how we're performing right now based on FY22 data, which is 15% cost recovery on our sports field activities. We can then further drill down and see that that's broken down in between all of our association leases and then the rentals from citizens that outside of those. You can see the vast difference here. In order to get to that 15%, 11% are associations are cost recovery of 11%. And that is the bulk of it, uh, of our expenses, uh, with, with not much revenue there. On the private side, you can see our cost recovery is 124%, which tells us several things, one of which people are willing to pay to use the same fields for their practices. Uh, and so we can drill down even further uh, from that and look at subcategory of the different field types. So for these associations, you can see each one of the associations is all relatively the same. We're, we perform the same level of maintenance regardless of what field type. So the associations cost recovery don't really change much. But if we click on the rental side, there are some differences there depending on field type. Uh, soccer fields at 249%, baseball, softball, well over 100%. Football fields is less than 100 only because they're, it, they're really multi-purpose fields. So they have baseball playing on them, we have lacrosse activities on them, and so that one is dr driven down a little bit just because it has multiple. And then tennis courts, you're gonna see a theme on some of these slides, 4%. 
for the public courts there, a little bit different use. All right, so let me, and I meant to uh, share my screen so that Jamie could see this stuff too. Sorry, Jamie. So just wanna go through quickly and highlight some of the things that we have been working on and noticing. Again, data from FY22, each of the activities looked at revenue, if it had it, as well as total expenses. Those expenses are broken down on the direct costs for each program, as well as the indirect. So does it have facility costs and then administrative? So a portion of my salary and benefits, Sarah, Amanda, our park planning, <coughs> and anybody that's kind of on the administration is applied to every activity broken down. So it's not gonna be a significant amount compared to 600 activities, but a portion of everything uh, on the administrative side is distributed amongst all the activities, which sometimes drives that cost recovery down to a, a lower level than what we might expect. Uh, some of the activity changes were already implemented in FY23. So again, we were examining data in FY22, but especially on the recreation side, some of those things, as we got through it, we analyzed it, but we're not, no longer doing those events or programs anymore. And if you remember from the budget process this summer, we approved fee schedule changes that take effect January 1st. And so some of the, the numbers that you're gonna see in a minute will actually improve just by the nature of those fee schedule adjustments. Uh, and then going forward, what we're going to do is establish targets for each program activity within those categories on a one-year basis and a three-year basis. And just for reference, overall, when you look at all of our activities, we're at 29% cost recovery as a department. Obviously, medians and right-of-ways and municipal grounds and parks don't generate any revenue, so they're gonna really drag the overall department number down because of those huge expenses, trails, those kind of things. But just for reference, when you see some of the numbers, when you look at bottom line, that's where we're at. Okay, so the thing that, that Amelia and Jamie and 110% provided to us is what they call an insights report. So series of massive spreadsheets, and this is kind of the summary, the dashboard total at the end that gives all the service categories in comparison with the revenue and expenditures, the ranges that we identified and how we're performing. So you can see bottom line of our targets that we established as a part of this project, we are below our cost recovery targets. So we'll be able to modify this and update it as we go forward. Uh, this is only about a third of the spreadsheet as you go across. <laughs> um, a lot of data uh, on here, but each one of the categories, every single activity for that fiscal year 22 was examined. Again, you've got your revenue, you've got your expenses broken down by various types. We've got the number of participants, the number of hours, each one of those, all of those are factors in how these costs are, are calculated. Uh, again, this is that screenshot of the overall dashboard from Amelia. And then just wanted to highlight a few of these things. So rentals, for example, by the document, go ahead and pass these out, so. Um, by the document, you'll see all the ranges on that continuum that Jamie shared, and then on this matrix that, that pulls them all together, our range for private rentals, 90 to 110% with our target of 100. We're performing at 71%. Again, with those fee schedule changes that were adopted, we'll probably get pretty close to that 100% within a year or so. Uh, and just to drill down within private rentals, there's two major categories. There's the rentals at the MAC and then all of our shelter rentals. We can further drill down is to Rose Park and Chandler Park and Town Park, uh, but you can see both of them are right at the same level. So those fee schedule increases are going to make a, a positive impact on cost recovery for each one of these categories. 
beginner activities. So that's a 50 to 60% range with an overall target of 55%. One of the things to pay attention to here, you can see our youth and teen programs and our preschool, they're already in cost recovery range. The older we get, our programs, our adult programs don't recover as much money, our seniors, very little. Our nature education has, is a little caveat because those are done outside. And also one of the things we learned through this process is we probably have way too many offerings. So we're gonna minimize that. So when that happens, the number of people that register in each class is lower. And so the cost recovery, it's high. It's, it's harder to get to that, that target. So we're already working on adjusting some of the minimum maximums for each program associated with that. Uh, and so as we drill down within youth and teen, you can see also some, some anomalies. Youth and da dance uh, programs, well over 100% already. M youth martial arts doing well above the, our, our target range that we've identified. You start getting down to some of the youth sports programs that we offer and the arts and enrichments, those are the things that we'll, we'll kind of need to focus on and realize why are they so far out of alignment compared to others. There will be examples where we'll, we'll be just fine with them being far away. There, there, there are gonna be reasons that we will justify that, but these, these numbers kind of help us identify you know, uh, some things that we need to dig, dig into a little bit. Okay, uh, then youth sports, for example. So again, a wide range here. Soccer shots, well over 100% cost recovery. Tumbling, well over 100%. Lacrosse, our track club, um, all above the range already identified. One of the themes you're gonna see in here, the, all of our MATA activities, we are heavily subsidizing, heavily subsidizing. So they don't function the same way that the rest of our programs. And so we're gonna to have to make some decisions on how do we, do we accept that or do we need to change some of the relationships? Uh, all of these are done through con contracts and so we'd handle the registration and they get a percentage of that. And so do we need to adjust the percentage or do we need to change the structure? Some of this are low because they have so many exclusive use hours of the tennis courts that no matter how much revenue we generate because they are out there for family play days for maybe four hours and a participant only paid $5, we're just not gonna recover as much money. And so one of the questions for us to ask is, these are the only public tennis courts we have. Are we okay with monopolizing the only courts we have for this program, realizing it's not recovering very much money and potentially not offering the public access to those courts? Those are some of the things that we'll, we'll go through our, our policy. As we dig in, yeah, go ahead. What is MATA? Mansfield Area Tennis Association. Uh, intermediate, you will see overall our category is at 19%, so we are far away on most of the activities here. So this, this one is gonna require some work. You can see uh, adult, nature, youth and teen are all around that 30%. Our senior programs, that's not a, that's not a typo, 2%. Uh, and so I'll drill down a little bit. Our crafters workshop is a huge amount of, of dedicated time at the MAC. And the cost recovery is, is far from uh, far from where it should be for our intermediate classes. So a lot of supply costs, so our participants are getting a great value. We need to ask the question, can we afford to give up this much space for this return on investment, or is there a better use of that until we get more space to spread that out? So again, this is another program. We've already started having discussions with the participants as well as the instructors on how we can make some changes to at least start moving the needle. We may not get anywhere near that 65%, but we've got to do better than 
Private, semi-private again, nearing 100% cost recovery. You can see some of the ranges here. Same, same theme, youth and teen and adult programs uh, up here. I wanted to highlight one thing on our camps. I think most people, at least staff, we would think that if you're paying for a camp, it probably should be close to 100%. That's why we put it in this category. Uh, but as we drill down a little bit, you can see dance and music camps exceeding 100%, art camps, science camps uh, doing fairly well. Again, it's, it's going to be difficult to get 100% a lot of these because you're adding the administrative costs of the department to everything that we do. But one thing that stands out here is that we were a little surprised that Kid Zone was as low as it was. And so as we drill down just on Kid Zone, you can see the main program uh, here in the middle, the big one, Kids Day Camp, is about 55%. That is largely because of the expenses we have to pay MISD to rent the facilities. And they've gone up three straight years. So that's getting harder and harder to achieve. So if we tried to recover 100% of that, we would probably outprice most of the participants. So we're gonna have to make some decisions on where, where, where we want that target and what we're willing to accept, or do we find other venues, or do we have some other discussions with MISD if we want to continue to use their facilities and how can we work you know, uh, on a partnership there. As you can see, the Kids Zone After Dark and the Kids Day Off are more specialty when anytime MISD is closed, we offer the single day out. Uh, so there's, there, there's not as much revenue associated with that. So that target may not get close to the other, so those are discussions we'll have to have going forward, it, do we need to have individual targets for the various kids' zone products that we offer? Are those single-day holidays? Yes. Like Memorial Day? And, and, during the, and yeah, during Thanksgiving, Christmas break, sure. spring break as well. And do we pay more when they're not, MISD is not open, I guess? Those are all hosted at the MAC. Okay. So we do have administrative and facility costs that get added to those. So it, it, it's not that we our cost recovery should shoot up because we're not renting. We still have other fees that then get added to them, um, but we don't we don't charge. The goal has not been to charge to recover 100%. We've really never looked at it through this lens either, but it's more of a service uh, for, for parents that on a single day or a week don't have any other resources. Summertime's a little different. A lot of parents will have a day camp or a daycare option, but you don't generally send a kid to daycare for one isolated day, so. And then sports camps, so you can see, our, again, once again, our soccer shots are over 100%, basketball doing well, lacrosse, uh, but again, you see a theme here with Mata, our tennis camp, less than 10% cost recovery. So they have access to the courts at Chandler Park during the summer hours for these camps. The public doesn't have access, and uh, so we probably need to change our, our, our partnership relationship there uh, to look at, at their fees, so. Is that low participation? No, that they have good participation. Sold out camps. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Lincoln waiting list, and they offer six to eight weeks, and they sell out very fast. So there's and is that one at 8020? Um, yes, because it's offsite. Yeah, so it's an offsite camp, so we only keep 20% of the revenue. Most of our other programs are 6535, so that may be a way. But again, while it's offsite and it doesn't have any of the MAC administrative costs added to it, it's monopolizing public courts. So we need to ask the, the question, are we, are we comfortable with that? When we, we add more tennis courts in the system, maybe a different argument. But for now, how many people are being displaced that want to play tennis because we have a program that might be isolating that? How many hours a day is that requiring? 
that's camps like three, three to four hours in the morning. Part of it's they just ch want to charge so little, um, and not that we want to outprice anyone, but there's definitely like a market that we could price a little bit more. Mata's in it for the right reason. They're trying to grow the game of tennis. They're trying to provide that to the community, um, but it's it's probably too cheap. So you get a lot of complaints while it's going on. Generally, we, I think we always try to keep one court open, right? Uh, no, when not doing the camps, but in their I know some of their other activities they keep one open. But it, yeah, yeah there there have been instances, uh, especially we have a lot of people that try to teach lessons on the courts. Oh, yeah. They're the ones we usually hear from because they're trying to make money off of it, and Mata's got the got it got it reserved. So, yeah. yeah. And these are just our courts, not the ISDs. Correct. Right. Correct. <clears throat> and then, lastly, because this is this has been a hot topic and will continue to be our, our sports field. <clears throat> so, with a cost recovery range between twenty to thirty percent, with a target of twenty five. Again, we're at fifteen percent. So that we drill down. I showed you these a minute ago, but you can see this a little cleaner. The difference between our association leases. So, if we tried to hit that twenty five percent target on our associations, parents wouldn't be able to afford t ball. I mean, they would they'd be paying two hundred dollars to play t-ball for a season as, a as opposed to thirty-five. So I think one of the strategies that we're going to work on through our policy and Big League Dreams is going to add a wrinkle to this as well as we go forward because now we we are in charge of that until we figure out our new operating model. Is how do we get to the category of twenty-five percent? And so can we work with the associations because right now the way they treat them is their, their fields. And so they say we use them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no one else can use them. And then you go out there five days a week and the fields are empty. Well, guess what? This proves that people are willing to pay us. So if we can give those windows back and use those for the rentals, we can hit that 25% target without gouging the associations and the parents in the in the community because using those for the private rentals. So that's what we want to be able to show and use some of these targets uh, to still achieve these goals, but not necessarily on the backs of our associations that are being run by 100% volunteers. You know, so how can we work together and that these are city assets and not association assets the way that they, they treat them. So And when we develop our next contract with the operator for the big league dreams, are we going to have in there that we have access to those facilities when they're not in use? We, it's already, it has always been that way. Been that We've way? just never capitalized on them. Yeah. Right. So the, the gate and admission has always been the tricky part. So I think that's the part that we'll have to be, we'll need to tweak going forward. So again, just to break down, you kind of see the different fields and the types. So on the private rental side, when, when those windows are open to us, we're going to recover costs or make money and can help help offset uh, the taxpayer dollars on these fields. Okay, so just a couple of quick steps, and then we'll turn it over to Jamie, and you can fire away with any, any questions on here. We're going to try to establish targets for year one, which is this year, FY24, and year three, so where we'd like to be in the th three-year window so that we can start working to that and review them every year. There is a, an overall policy document that will come out of this, and we, Jamie's already we've been working on a draft, and so that'll be the next step. And then I think we still would like to close this out with a joint meeting with you and the city council, hopefully in January, if we can work it into their schedule. Uh, but we wanted to kind of bounce off some of these. Uh, there's a lot of data. We didn't want to overwhelm you with too much tonight, but just tease you with a little bit of this and give you some of the, 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 the cost recovery ranges and the categories, the way they ended up on the continuum, and then allow you to ask any questions or give feedback that we might need to incorporate into that policy <laughs> before it comes to you in a kind of a final draft. Can you rewind Please. about four slides where the, the sports field activities, the big number in the upper right-hand corner, was 15? 15. Okay. Yeah. 
I have more of a general question. I don't know if it should wait. What, what impact would be in a hypothetical world that we got passed on the bond for the rec center? Would that have significant impact on our cost recovery? In other words, we'd have more room for kids zone. We could have more basketball leagues. Is that a significant factor or is it not even worth considering? Uh, I, no, I think it is. I think it is a, a factor. Um, you know, through that study with BRS, because we had had prior to that no established cost recovery goals for the department, um, we for that program we had identified the feasibility study seventy five percent. That was a goal. That was conservative. Uh, we were conservative on all the revenue sides to that, and felt like we would exceed that. By the time we would have opened that facility in FY26 with the MAC, just utility costs, staffing costs, cost of living, insurance, those things, the subsidy required that even if we had a 75% cost recovery, that 25% was going to be the same amount that the MAC is going to be subsidized by the corporation in FY26. So that was kind of a no-brainer that if we established a 75%, now the major shift would have been that the MAC most likely would then convert into a general fund operation senior center and then utilize it for as much revenue generation outside of our senior lifestyles program as possible, but that it was going to be heavily subsidized on the general fund side, going from probably 300000 to a million minus any of those other opportunities. So obviously the seniors wouldn't be using the gym seven nights a week. So we could potentially rent that to other activities and we could use some of the rooms. But the goal was going to be that the seniors would have a dedicated space that they wouldn't have to worry about setting tables and chairs up every single day, that their, their program would be set up. And so maybe on the weekends, we take them down and we rent the way we do right now. But during the week, we don't have Taekwondo coming in there. So they got to put everything up. And then first thing in the morning, bring it all back out. They, it would be their senior home for their, for their program. But the gym especially would have a lot of revenue potential. So I think we would, we would probably not have a 0% cost recovery or a million dollar subsidy. Uh, we, we might be able to save off a couple hundred thousand, but that was going to be the plan that if when the new facility opened that the general fund would assume the cost and operations for the senior lifestyles program. So yeah, definitely a lost opportunity for sure. Thanks, <laughs> Not to revisit that sort of stuff. <laughs> Jamie, do you have other closing comments, especially after some of those uh, kind of just uh, examples of some of our categories and, and how we're performing? Um, I do not. It was, a, it was a great overview, Matt. Um, certainly uh, happy to answer any questions that uh, folks may have relative to the methodology, the process thus far. As Matt mentioned, uh, we've got a draft policy uh, in play right now that we're working on, and the expectation is to bring that back for um, feedback uh, probably after the first of the year. Can I ask a question? Where are we getting the 15%? Like, what is that number of significance versus 20% or 10%? The 15% on sports fields? Or I guess on any of those things, but yes, 15%, for example, for the sports fields. That That is okay. the actual number of what our cost recovery is today. So they examined 
all of our expenditures, all of our budgets, all of our revenue, and that's the overall, for that category of everything we placed in, the, in that category, that's how it performed during FY22. Okay. And, and we so, want to get it to... And so that, that's part of this is establishing a range with a target in the middle of those ranges for each one of these categories so that we can work towards that. Um, locally, most of the cities around here have a goal of 25% on sports fields, so that's, that's not unusual. The challenge always is that you try to raise fees and you get to that, and then utilities go up next year, and your salaries go up next year, and so you're all you're you know, and in three years you're, you went from 25, and now you're back down to 15. That's always every city I've worked in. That's been our challenge. Um, so, but it's much more than just that. And this this with our programs and activities across the board. So this is the snapshot. It's 11 by 17. It's 12 pages, and that only is. Uh, about 10% of the columns of the data that they provided. This is just the easiest way that I could see it um, at a high level as we start to go through each one of these programs. But there were, there were some, some real anomalies in some of our programs and some things that some things we we're aware of and some things that we're like, wow, I didn't realize. And you look at some of the differences of a, of a similar program with each else, with, with one another and realize, oh, well, that one is because we only had three participants. And so the cost recovery was here versus eight and we're at 85%. So that's gonna help us find that sweet spot for where, where we want to be, where we're not overly charging for that program, but we can try to hit our target that we know we need a minimum of six participants in this program, but tapping better or Taekwondo may be 12. Um, and there's a difference between youth Taekwondo and adult Taekwondo. And COVID threw a whole nother wrinkle into that because we had social distancing. So even when we had a target and we had a number of participants, we couldn't register that many. So all of those things, we still had a few of those lingering uh, components with this 22 data because we still were ramping back up fully with some of our programs, so. And with the other thing, uh, there's so many, there's so many things. Uh, some of our instructors off, offer multiple kid discounts. So if you have Johnny and Susie, Susie doesn't pay as much. Um, and we have discount day where you get discounts on all of our programs. Some people, when we go through some of the accounts, they cashed in and it affects our cost recovery. I mean, there are some families that had a, a kid in four different programs and paid like 25% of what they would have because they, they bundled all of these opportunities. Good for them, but maybe we shouldn't allow as many of those. And some of those were the instructor's choices. So for us, we're gonna decide, okay, Chris, if you're teaching this class and you wanna give that discount, that's coming out of your portion, but that's not the way, we, it's all coming out of our portion right now. So those are some of those things that really got highlighted through this that um, not that we want to do away with discount day or any of the incentives, but maybe we need to package them or limit them in a certain way or say if it's worth it to you as an instructor, maybe this should come out of your percentage of pay and we get to keep a little bit more because right now um, we're, we're bearing the brunt of most of those, those relationships. So. I, I just want to add a, a couple of, of thoughts uh, based on uh, the brief presentation. Um, a, a bit of a reminder that uh, this is, while it's a financial sustainability strategy, the organization has, with intention, uh, called it a community strategy, and there are subsidy goals. And so really the platform from which this is built is how you are choosing to invest and spend taxpayer dollars to support the park and recreation system in the community. You have a lot of exclusive users that are benefiting from the investment on behalf of all taxpayers. And so it becomes a baseline from which you'll begin to philosophically think about 
you know, questions relative to, as Matt mentioned, you know, how are you going to think about price points for certain user groups? Um, alternatively, um, this does not include your capital. So you have physical assets in the system that uh, receive capital. This is operational and maintenance uh, investments, obviously administrative expenses, but you've got capital um, investments that you're going to need to make over the life of the assets you have that are not built into this exercise. It might be something that the organization chooses to do moving forward. Um, that will be a, an element of the policy is thinking about how are you going to, when the opportunity arises, charge appropriately and responsibly in order to maybe lessen, if you will, the dependence on the general fund, but that may free up resources for you to take care of your infrastructure. Um, you're in a fast growing part of the country and right now everything is new and shiny. Ultimately, it's gonna need time and attention. We need to talk about bringing on community centers uh, in their 20th through their 30th year, they take millions of dollars to maintain. Um, and we sometimes forget about that, right? We think about the construction and the operational parts of things, but you've got quite a few assets in the system that require a lot of capital investment. And I just wanted to, again, point out that those aren't built into this. This is the operational and maintenance parts of the expenditures that the, that the, uh, the department and ultimately the city are assuming to provide park and rec services. In addition to specializing in this, Jamie, you know, speaks at our national conference every year, usually on multiple topics. Um, I've attended probably dozens over the years. We speak the same language, and so that was why I, I knew what she provided here. Um, but she has several of her topics and sessions on the capital reinvestment assets, and you know, and just the growing burden that cities have. I think we're we're better off than most, but um, but if you blink an eye, it will catch up to you and. Um, so if we need further assistance after this project, she certainly has that expertise that can come in to, to help us with that on the, on the asset management mm -hmm. side, so. I have a question about open access. Mm -hmm. Going forward, when we're not doing these exercises, it's not fresh in our mind, and the public looks at, a, at, at these, da these data points and they say, well, op open access is no recovery at all. There's 0% recovery. Can we assign or should we assign some recovery for organizations that rent out the trail for running races or organizations that rent out the parks for big events? Should we assign some of that to the open access so it doesn't look so bad or does it matter? I mean, I know it's going to end up somewhere. It's going to end up under private rentals or whatever. But to make ourselves feel better or, and maybe have more open access, you know, events in the in the future or, or designs in the future should we should we assign some of that to open access if we can i don't know i mean jamie did you get that and understand what i mean those the revenue is being captured but it's not in that category yeah right those are currently in your rentals category those uh, rental fees those prices that are being charged and those revenues generated open access think about it in terms of you walking through a park uh, sitting on a park bench, reading a book, taking your children to a playground. That's what open access represents. Those events that you speak about are actually represented in other categories and the expenses associated with providing or facilitating those services are actually attached to those rental categories. So um, it's not uncommon to have some systems have some level of cost recovery um, in open access. It's typically minimal. Um, it might be things like, um, you know, memorial park benches, for example, if they, they sell those to community members who want to memorialize a family member who's passed. 
Um, some organizations have sponsorships and donations attributed to that particular service category. But when we're speaking about events or rentals and those kinds of things, those are actually represented in different service categories and the expenses associated with those services are attributed to those categories. Yeah, so while the revenue doesn't show up here for those, the expenses attributed don't show up either. So that was a that was an exhaustive effort working with, with Eric, with Amelia, and breaking down the percentages of all of those different tasks within each one of our budgets for every type, for every position in the department. And, and even having to revisit that to probably the frustration level of Jamie and, and Eric trying to understand, oh wait, I, I didn't know when we moved it that much, it would, because we ended up with like one of our bug programs of the Nature Education showed that it had a, a direct a total expense of $13,000. It's because of the way that we had assigned all special events. So a huge portion of Mary's uh, salary and benefits at the back were getting assigned. She had no responsibility for that. So we had to figure out, oh, 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 just Nature Education events. So it took some tweaking to get through that but yeah so we worked on that so a percentage of every one of the positions and every one of the duties that they perform get assigned uh, through that so it was so, fun so you're essentially saying that because there's no expense associated with open access it won't ever go negative is that what you're saying Cor correct it'll always i mean there fine. might be some things that still get added to revenue but under open access we have parks and trails we have shelters and picnics uh, splash pads, municipal facilities, downtown, medians right away, and public-private partnerships. Now that is just the outside groundwork that we do at public-private partners, not the actual operations of those. So if uh, shelters and picnics, for example, that is the public side, the free use, not associated with the rentals. So the expenses tied to the rentals that we provide is all captured in another category. So on this sheet right here, we a couple of days ago, a couple of months ago, we went through an exercise, the board went through an exercise, and staff went through an exercise to categorize um, items in each of these. Can we get the, the results of that for the new board members? To be kind of, sure. It just help kind of some of the history. I think that would be really helpful. And then the private rentals is the only one here that doesn't have a range. And I'm curious what 10% subsidized to 110% cost recovery means, why is it not 100% or have a range of zero to 10% subsidized? So it, it actually bridges the gap. That's where the continuum changes from subsidized to cost recovery. So that one, the range is 90% to 110%. So either 10% subsidy or 10% cost recovery. That's the range, that's why it's... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's where we, yeah, we get that far in the continuum before we're, we're in the cost recovery. Uh, bracket. That's where the line is drawn, and that so that's part of the question too for you as a board and council is we are we are subsidizing almost everything we provide, and and these are the levels and the targets that we're establishing. So is that where we want to be? And just knowing that the more parks we add, that open access number is going to grow, even though the cost recovery is still going to be zero, but that taxpayer investment is going to get higher. So. If we're, if we're comfortable with that, and then if we don't want to charge the seniors to you for daily use of the, of the Senior Lifestyles Program, their expenses are going to go up. So how do we cover for that? Is that just by the property tax growth of the city, or is it through generation of revenue from our other programs and activities that can help offset some of these other categories? 
And, and so, Jamie, that's our 10th of 12 points. So 88% of our categories are in the not 100%. Is that typical for other organizations? There's really no typical. Um, <laughs> it's all over the board. Um, we have a, a few examples we share that give, uh, I think, insight relative to how to think about the design of your continuum based upon your ability to continue to be reliant on the general fund to the degree that you have. Um, you're, you don't have an ambitious uh, uh, strategy in place. It's fairly conservative. Uh, the question will be over the course of the next few years, it's a three-year continuum. Staff are gonna continue to evaluate. I, I imagine this uh, group, highly intelligent, highly competent, are gonna be looking at the data year over year. Um, are you going to continue to be able to invest that amount of subsidy to support the system is the question I think you'll all be grappling with based upon your budget projections and so on. Um, I've seen systems that have, uh, uh, I would say, um, incredibly um, conservative approach, meaning nothing is over 100% cost recovery. Uh, we just finished a, a strategy for an organization where only the first four categories on their continuum are subsidized to any degree. Everything else is either at full cost recovery or expected to exceed 100% cost recovery to the point where the top two service categories are at 200% cost recovery um, because they are now in a place where their infrastructure is starting to fail. They have high inequity in the community. They want to invest in inequity. Um, and that's where they feel like they're going to have an opportunity to reinvest in the community by way of uh, their services and their facilities. So um, I don't want to say they're all over the board. I think they fall into three pods of conservative, um, slightly more ambitious, where you're starting to be a little bit more self-reliant. And then um, similar to the example I just shared, much more ambitious understanding. We just can't rely on the general fund uh, to the degree that we have. We've got to create more self-reliance for our system. Uh, we're a more mature system. Our infrastructure needs more time and attention. The, the general fund can't help us. We've got to essentially help ourselves. And as a reminder to the board, especially for Shelly and Melinda, our new members, we kind of have, we have Tupac uh, buckets here, really, on the open access, community events, community outreach, and the, some of the senior activities. Those are primarily general fund, but everything else on here, this is your corporation. So when we talk about general fund subsidy, the corporation is subsidizing the MAC operations to the tune of $500,000 a year. So, and also all these programs that we're talking about, when, when, we're, when we're not recovering 100%, you're paying the difference as the corporation. So um, that's something to consider as well, is this, are some of these programs different because they're not general fund? And the expectation is that the general population is paying for it, but in this case, it's sales tax driven. And it still may be an appropriate use, we just need to make sure we understand we have multiple pots, those are the two biggest ones. We have other, other funding sources too. And as we get into the capital, as Jamie was referencing, there's even more funding sources uh, to consider. So. Do we know about how much of Mansfield is built out, how much sales tax revenue we're gonna anticipate in, in years coming? We're, um, 23% left, so we're about 77% uh, built out. Okay. Um, and the sales tax, I mean, has been growing wildly in the last few years. And even though the percentage has calmed down uh, to more of the four to 5% and not 15 to 20%, the volume is still significant. I mean, we're almost, I've been here eight years and it's, it's twice what it was eight years ago. So um, that's, so, and that, and that to, to Jamie's comment, that's where, 
after this cost recovery analysis, that's where you have been able to fund the capital projects and the reinvestment. And while that's why our infrastructure gap isn't, now we're also small, but our infrastructure gap isn't out, out of balance like some of the larger cities like Dallas and Fort Worth and even Arlington where I came from uh, because we, we paid attention to reinvest it. That was in the room next door during my interview. I said, Mansfield is exactly where I just came from in South Arlington. You better start reinvesting and not just building new stuff and chasing the shiny squirrel. You better start reinvesting or it's gonna get out of hand. So we need a balance of all of those things and the corporation and the sales tax funding has been what's allowed us to do that without impacting the general fund. So I think that coming out of the policy that Jamie referenced, that will that will be at least be my recommendation is how we continue to approach that. And hopefully we can increase cost recovery on a lot of these categories and that will then generate more revenue to reinvest in our facilities. It sounds like with 23% still to be built out that we're probably in that intermediate range right now. So we'd better not be too conservative and be probably mid-range, it sounds like. One of the other things, just one of the final comments here as we go forward thinking about this policy, I want you guys to think about, uh, obviously, if we increase prices to some degree, I think our desire as staff would be to have a financial assistance piece, a component to it for those that can't afford that, and what does that look like, and what it, to what level. So be thinking about those before our next meeting, uh, because we certainly want to incorporate that. We already experienced that, but we don't have a, a, well, we don't have a robust system at all. But as we start increasing the prices, we're going to price more and more families out of some of our programs. And so how do we make those still affordable and offer those to, to families in need? So just just food for thought. Just think, think about that as we go forward. Your presentation. Good start. Any okay. Great job, Jamie. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be in touch soon. <clears throat> Thanks. Sounds good. We'll go to our next work session item. Is he snuck in yet, Steve? He's not. He, he texted me. He's out there. <clears throat> And we will give you more and more of the data uh, as we go forward. Again, there's 600 programs, so it's kind of hard to capture all that, but we'll, we'll give more examples of the individual programs and some of the things that we're, we're just now getting to, to dig into a little bit with staff. You had said earlier that we really didn't know beforehand. What kind of system did y'all have in place before this? So we had a, we had a policy back in the day, but this, this continuum that Jamie uses, uh, it originally started off with what everybody called a cost recovery pyramid, and it was based similar to this. The base of it was the community, and then the higher you got up was the more individualized. And so we kind of had some categories based off of what most cities used in that process, but we kind of have it broken down into in, uh, individual, market-based, and social good. Social good. Uh, and to be honest, I, I still like, we formalized that a little bit for CAPRA in one of our policies, and I was rereading it last week, and I still like a lot of the language and want to kind of insert that into Jamie's version, because I think it still works for us. But we didn't really have uh, an annual review process, especially to this level program by program, every single offering like that. And we didn't have a way to add in all the other administrative costs now to that, which lowers the cost recovery. We were primarily looking at direct costs and not total costs. So uh, that changes what your cost recovery goal is. If you're only doing looking at direct, it's a lot easier to get to 100% uh, when you don't factor in those other things, all the utility costs, the janitorial costs of the, of the MAC, you know, all those, all those things, so. 
All right, uh, next work session. You ready, Mr. President? Let's go. All right. So uh, as a reminder, we contracted with Kemper Sports to help us with the transition of Big League Dreams. Uh, their last official day was Thursday, last Thursday the 30th, so they are no longer on site. Um, we have changed out all the locks to City Core, so there shouldn't be any question about access. I think they came out even yesterday. Steve met them out. Uh, so he's going to provide you with a, a little bit of an overview of that, but we're working. Kemper has been great to work with. They have a, a big team. There's four primary people that Vanessa and I have been meeting with, and, and just about every day we have some kind of conversation, uh, Zoom or in person, or have over the last several weeks. And so he's going to provide a little bit of overview of that process, but then we'll try to get some feedback from you. Part of this, their contract is to visit with stakeholders about what do we want Big League Dreams to, to be in the end. Exactly the same, just make it like new. Do we want to add pickleball courts? Do we want to do away with a restaurant and only have one restaurant? Do we want to have free admission, which changes your cost recovery? You know, those are the kind of things that we want to look at. And several of you have used the facility, so are aware of, of where it was in 2008 and where it is today. Uh, so I'm going to turn it over to Steve and let him kind of guide you through that and give you the opportunity to give him some thoughts that, that we can use through this project. You're the first group that he's actually met with. So we'll have public meetings, we'll meet with the youth sports groups, they'll meet with council members uh, through this process as well. So, okay. Steve Gorris is the vice president. Thank you. How do, uh, how will I plug in? Oh, um, good question. Or I can email you something. Yeah, that would probably be the easiest question. <laughs> sorry, guys. Yeah, I'm sorry. Steve was out in the lobby, and I was... You're never doing anything. Huh? You're never doing anything. <laughs> Vanessa's red, just to let you know. So... <laughs> that was from May. That has been a while. Oh, I was trying to find the link for the Amelia. That's why I went back to May. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like 
I was like, just in case I ever do that again. You can call us too. Oh, okay. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, I said it says it's in room. Okay. Thanks for joining us, Steve. Thanks for having me. PowerPoint? It's a PowerPoint and I said you a PDF, whatever's easier. It's probably going to be. <laughs> I would stay up, but I also have to take some notes, and I'm not that good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they did with it either. Where is Kemper Sports located? We are based out of Chicago, just outside of Chicago in North Brook. Sorry, you had to come down here during 60-degree weather. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lucky, luckily, I actually am a resident of Mansfield, Texas. So oh, I, I that's live awesome. Here. Not, not too far. <laughs> yeah, he's like close, close. 30 seconds down. I'll just leave that with you. Yes, thank you. That's even better. <laughs> yeah. So as, as Matt touched on, really our, our goal today is I'll give you a little background on Kemper and what we do and um, who I am and what I do. Um, really kind of the scope of what we've been engaged to do. Um, but ultimately, it's to facilitate a discussion on uh, the highest and best uses of, of the facility. What, as your team, um, are the things that you think we can accomplish there, or that the city needs, our residents need, in order to continue to fulfill our mission, right, ultimately? Um, so no real parameters. I don't want to get tied to... You know, this would only work if it's, hey, what are those needs? It's our job to figure out, can we make those needs happen at this facility? What changes could potentially accommodate more diverse uses? Um, and or, you know, give other recommendations on um, how all these puzzle pieces could ultimately come together. Let's see how... So, Kemper Sports, um, it's a 40-year-old company. Uh, we are well-versed in basically recreation management, recreation and entertainment. Our portfolio um, started in mostly in golf. Uh, we did, had a lot of golf courses. Our first golf client uh, 40 years ago that started our business is still a client of ours today, which is kind of cool to be able to say. Um, but over the years, we have expanded our portfolio into... Um, some different divisions, right? So we have daily course fees, uh, private clubs, destination resorts, youth and recreation venues, which is the segment of the company that I lead, um, and then sports marketing events and public relations. So um, my time is spent strictly in those two right verticals. Um, I've spent the last 15 years in the youth and amateur sports space working with municipalities like yourselves in everything from feasibility, development, operations, optimization, et cetera. Uh, I've been with Kemper now for just over a year. And as I mentioned, I'm a Mansfield resident, so this is near and dear to the heart. I have two kids, 11 and 9, um, who participate in our programming here. Um, so spent a good amount of time at BLD, Sports Complex, and other places with, with them, for sure. 
Um, on the other side, we're a large events company. Um, we run things that you would see on TV as well as a lot of high school events. The Maui Invitational, which is a big college basketball tournament, is one of our events. Um, the Asheville Invitation, and then we also do events in the collegiate level in softball, baseball, and now lacrosse um, that are televised type events. It's a little bit of our portfolio. Um, again, 40 years of experience. We have 8,000 members in our team, and over 140 now. It's actually 150 facilities in our portfolio. We operate in 29 states and uh, have 32 municipal clients that we work with. I, I mentioned this slide just so you can see a little bit about our breath. Um, Three Step Sports is our sister company. Um, this is what we call the content side. When we run facilities, we need to fill facilities, right? So. Um, this is 3SEP is the largest aggregator of youth and amateur sports content in the country. Uh, we run over 2,500 events. This is high school down to um, 18 months old in different events, both recreational and competitive. 1,800 club teams in nine different sports in all 50 states. Uh, we have 1.3 million, million athletes in that ecosystem. So our, our goal really is going to be vertically integrated in the space and uh, help our clients in any way we can um, that helps them. But it just goes through a quick suite of our services. Any questions on Kemper? I think I can answer that. Um, so we, we've been hired, or we've engaged here to do two, two things. One is to support the team here in the transition, um, getting the current operator to exit. Um, and making sure that we're protecting the city's interest and assets as that exit happens. Um, so we've been working closely um, with Matt and Vanessa in that. Um, we have some things to tidy up, and I think all in all, it's gone fairly smoothly to this point, but uh, I guess the most contentious points are ahead of us, but we'll, we'll figure that out, that out as time comes. Um, but the main thing I wanted to point out here, again, community engagement is a big part of what we're engaged to do. Um, so. We're starting with you all today, but we also do plan on engaging um, with current users, users who are trying to figure out what's happening with the complex going forward, et cetera. We want to keep them engaged and make sure that um, their voices are being heard. And ultimately, we want to have that pipeline for if and when the complex reopens, um, that we can easily start to bring in some of those constituents back into the complex long term. Second piece of our scope is the assessment piece. Um, and again, we're here focused on the community needs side where we're talking to the community stakeholders or the, par or the park stakeholders on what the needs are for the facility. That is one part of a larger assessment that ultimately would lead us to giving you some recommendations on the highest and best use of the park based on community needs, goals, um, and then kind of asset recovery from what's already been built in the park. One of the things that I've talked to Matt and Vanessa about in some of our meetings is like we're, we're building a complex very similar to this, not far from, well, actually a little far from here, but in Alabama. Um, and that same park to build today is costing us about $48 million. So um, there, you have an asset that is valuable um, and hard to replace. So um, that's another part that we take into consideration as, as we go through this. Any questions on that? Um, I'm fairly sure everyone's familiar with the complex, um, but I did hear there's some new board members. So is there, do I need to go over what's in, at the complex at all? Would that be helpful? Or Matt, would you want uh, to? Yeah, I think a quick, quick overview would, would be a good reminder, yeah. Okay, yeah. So 
Big League Dreams, um, again, this, this um, in our world, is a premier-type complex. Um, not, not given the current state of what the last operator left it in. Um, it's built for two purposes, right? Community access and use, and then to generate tourism um, through tournaments and events. In order to generate tourism, generally, we, we need scale. And what we mean by scale um, is typically four to eight fields. So when we get to eight fields, we know we can run tournaments large enough to fill weekends and bring people to stay head, have heads in beds, generate economic impact locally. Um, at the same time, that Monday through Thursday community use, community impact is an important balance because obviously it's community funds and residents, unlike a convention center or other assets that cities might invest in, they feel like they own these complexes, right? Because they're, they're invested in what's happening in them and in their children. So from a size and scale, you have eight um, diamonds here. Um, the infields and all these are artificial turf, um, which benefits in a couple ways. One is um, from a weather perspective and a maintenance perspective, we can play right after rain. The other things that allow us to play softball, baseball, and different age groups, because the mounds are all portable. Um, and with portable fences, these are full, what we call our full high school and above size outfields. Um, with portable fences, you can also run some, ooh, that's a touch screen too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can, it allows you to run some, some other events. The outfields are actually big enough here that you could run some long field events too. Not a full size soccer field, but you could easily run flag football or smaller sided soccer, et cetera. Um, each of these wheels um, are anchored by um, a support building. Uh, currently houses concessions, restrooms, um, concessions, restrooms, a bar, and then viewing into each one of these field areas. It's a, it's a nice amenity with fixed seating at every, every field right behind Hope Play all throughout. Um, main buildings is ticketing and office space, and then there's some public access restrooms in the back. This is, uh, I call it the field house. Do you guys have another name for it? They officially call it the pavilion. The but pavilion. Uh, field house is more commonplace today. Yes, the pavilion is a uh, indoor turf facility that also has concessions and restrooms inside. Um, mostly used today, I think, more for cornhole and some other things, some soccer, little kickers, um, and things like that as well. Outdoors uh, play structure. Um, we really like play structures at facilities. Um, it allows like my, my daughter to go watch my son's game and pretend to watch and just come over here and play. <laughs> and then um, some batting cages there. Anything I missed there, Matt? Just from an overview perspective. No, other than just that in the middle at the top, that's the railroad track. So there is a green space just north of, or south of the pavilion that has an opportunity. Uh, for for adding some amenities and the maintenance is just on the very top left of the screen. That's the maintenance access there. And then they do have, it's just off the screen, but a kind of overflow parking is not a very attractive area. Yeah. As, as Heritage Parkway gets redeveloped, I think there's, the city has a desire to possibly add, you know, some retail or something there adjacent to that, but that could evolve out of this project as well as, you know, some recommendations. Do we know who owns that land? Would it be north? North, west of there. South. South. Oh, I'm looking at this. That exactly. That. Yeah, that's to the south. That, that's what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, the city. I'm that. talking in terms of what we're looking at. It's north. So the city. Yeah. Yeah. City owns this. It is. Place. It is 
it going to be. Uh, <laughs> click, click on Tim. Is that a gas well? Right it is a gas well. Yeah. Just rezoned to Soma last night. Yeah. So that, that's good. That's all part of the going to be the Harvest Point development there, all the way to the south side of Lone Star, where the stadium uh, will will be built. So that, I think this is envisioned to be mixed mixed use, all of it. Where's the restaurant located? There's, there's, center of the there's two, two. Okay. In, the, in the center of each one of them. So when you mentioned bar earlier, that's where they, they reside? Okay. Yeah, there's a bar in there as well. It's kind of a separate area from the concession. I'm just not been in there. So. Yep. Are they both full use restaurants? Um, they're really what I, what I would say concessions heavy. They have a really good sized kitchen in them that equipped correctly could put out food any restaurant would need. But the way they've been operated historically is more concessions food and then the bar serving beer mostly. Okay, and Matt, this was 2008 when this opened? Opened in March 2008. Yes. And in, in 2007, 2008 dollars, this was 18 million? 24, yeah, 24 and change. Yeah, there's lots of different change. numbers, yeah. Okay. And right now, Steve, you said 48 million? 48. Okay. Not including land acquisition. It's our ground up. And how much, what's the acreage that this is on? About 40, just under 40, like 39 and change, I and think. Does our property go to the easement of the railroad, or yes. is there something between us and the railroad? No, it goes to the, to the railroad. Okay. Yeah. Has the bond been paid for and complete? That we took out in 2000. So, the, and this was funded with general fund general obligations. Fund. Okay. Okay. The corporation actually paid for the synthetic turf infields. Okay, which is and, why we have those payments. Yeah, in 2012. So that was the 10-year payback uh, for that. That they they did they did finally get to that point last year. Okay. And the land is city land, not corporation land. Say that again. The land is actually city, like general fund city land, not corporation land. That is not our park. Well, yeah, so you do not own it. You have invested in it. Okay. Um, it's still a part. So when, when I know there have been some questions publicly, so if you do receive a question about can the city sell this, they cannot without an election. It doesn't matter that the corporation paid for it or it's your land or not. Uh, most cities do not have a half-cent sales tax corporation. But state law requires an election <coughs> of land designated as a park. So it can be sold, can be repurposed. The voters just have to say that. So just for clarification, do we own the land under Fieldhouse, the no. Fieldhouse? The corporation owns the lands under the golf course, but none of the others. Okay, thank you. You paid for the Fieldhouse 100%. You paid for a portion of the Star Center paid for a portion of Hawaiian Falls and then the land on the golf course. So every one of them unique from the others. Thank you. Okay. Clear, consistent, and simple. Right? Yeah. 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 Got it. Everybody clear on that? That's what we're asking. <laughs> Any other questions on the actual facility? All right, now we, I guess we'll get to I, I did say that the land just to the south of this was rezoned Soma last night. It's not actually, P and Z approved it last night. It has not gone to council yet. Um, so the way I like to facilitate this is instead of going question by question, I put up a bunch of questions that we can tackle at any time. Um, and I really just want open participation in, in dialogue. I would like to start kind of more general in your perspective of what the needs of the, the city are, our residents, from a um, sports recreation and entertainment perspective. Uh, outside even of the sports complex, I think just global, globally for me to hear 
um, you know, what your residents are telling you or what you're hearing are the most important pieces um, of what's missing in the offering today would be a good place to start. And then we can start to drill into the rest of the questions. Oh, I have a question. I don't sure. know if this fits in this or not. Um, say I come from Missouri, I drive from Missouri to play in a tournament there. And I spend most of the weekend uh, in Broad Street traffic because all the hotels are on 287. Is, are we surveying tournament teams in regards to would they come back? Are we retaining the teams that come? Or do people come one time and say, yeah, this is a great place, but I, I can sit in traffic in Missouri or Arkansas? <laughs> um, and I know uh, the big part of this was to get hotels built when we built it. But uh, it, uh, I guess my question is, is this a one and done for visitors? And is there a way to determine if that's the case and what would change that? I, I can give you my, my view um, professionally from complexes I see across the country and how participation works at them. One is compared to a lot of the major markets that we see complexes in, we don't have a traffic problem compared to what they, we deal with in other cities. Um, it's just a lot different, right, um, what people are used to um, getting here. So, personally, I would not see that being a deterrent um, to folks coming in over and over again. What we know is folks coming in for tourism look for a few things. One is a, a clean, quality, and safe facility, right, first and foremost. They, they want to feel like they're an athlete, um, and their kids can have a good experience, the kids can run around and feel safe. As a parent, you have trust in that. Um, that is really important. Second is the quality of the tournament itself and the programming. So when we allow folks to run tournaments in our facilities, and we do, some of, some of them are uh, rentals where someone will come in that owns an event, wants to run it in our facility, and they run an event, or there's some that we would run ourselves, right, if we were managing the complex. Um, the, the quality of that event reflects 100% on the facility, and we've seen that here at BLD, frankly, right? So, um, the person coming to the event does not know the name of the person running the tournament. They know the name of the facility they're going to, to go play. Um, so the quality of the event, which good umpires, start on time, end on time, decent prizes, um, are all part of that. Parity, uh, fairness and scheduling, those things are, are important. Um, third is just the destination in itself. So we've seen municipalities across the country build one of these out in a farm field with nothing else to do or stay at. Um, that's a one and done experience. You're gonna go check that out, but if you have nothing to do but drive another 30 minutes or 40 minutes to a hotel room and sit there the rest of the night, you're not coming back for that experience. I feel like we're better positioned than that when we're competing in this market. Um, we have a decent amount of restaurants, entertainment, shopping, more coming, right? I know that's a, a focus um, of the cities as well. Um, and because we're a part of a major metropolitan market that's also a tourism destination in itself, um, they're going to go visit some other places, right? They're going to go to Arlington and go to the amusement park and other things that help us attract visitation to here. Um, so generally, I think we're well positioned in all those areas. Um, I don't see anything that would detract the city from having a location here that people want to come to. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, Except that the facility is not up to par. Like well, I said, safe, clean, and and nice surfaces. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we're not there today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
As far as being um, within the community, I know whenever my kid was doing, you know, baseball, it was exciting to go there because it was all the fun things. It, as we all know, have, has not been as nice to go to. Do we also reinvest into the community as doing like community events at Big League Dreams or anything? Is there anything else that's us as residents who are not really like having Little League kids play? Is there a draw for something like that over there? And if not, is that something that we can kind of do was have this as like a community draw? For example, the lot has, you know, we're drawing people to that thing for a community event. Do we ever, do we do anything like that? Or the July we do have. Transfer Rocks is okay. mm -hmm. pretty much it. Mm -hmm. Are there any other smaller kind of? Or could there be? <clears throat> or could there be? Yeah, right. Maybe Hawaiian Falls is right next door, so you could probably come up with all kinds of joint ventures. Fun things like that. Yeah, I mean, that would be great. I think that would help build <laughs> our, the reputation the of Big League Dreams the, once the, it's The kids' there. triathlon that goes through, and then we biked, and then we ended up in Big League Dreams and did all the awards over there. The pavilion could have a craft show yeah. or something like that, a Christmas craft show. Chili um, cook-off in that restaurant. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that that is something that we have lacked on previously is that there's not diversification besides just having sports people go to that thing. And I haven't been in there for, you know, more than a handful of times the last couple of years because there's, for me, not a draw for me to go there. And the entrance is beautiful. I mean, even staying off the field, you have the, the entrance, the playground, the open bathrooms, the restaurants all right there. You have a big Christmas market there. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> now, as like we're building, as we're building out a lot of the corridor of Broad and 287, that doesn't still really accommodate a lot of our residents on the southeast quadrant. Um, and so, having a place like you talked about, shared the lot. You know, a lot of people might not want to come all the way down Broad. Um, do we want to create something in that area that is a draw to the community, both in athletics and also social opportunities? I think. One of the things that maybe has been a barrier for that has been the ticketed entrances. So maybe there's times when there's events that are ticketed, and maybe there's times where it's open for other things to allow more business. I don't, I don't know. And, and when we talked about this last time, um, my my concern was what happened to NYBA, and I was told that they're only a fraction. Is there a way to reinvigorate that? Um, you know, kind of. I don't know, not shut it out to the other people, but get get NYBA or other youth-oriented activities there so that we're not having to build baseball fields somewhere else or renovate the parks that we have to accommodate more practice fields. Um, is that something that we want to look at? Uh, and I don't know, how heavily did NYBA use this when it first started? Was it, I, I'm assuming it has trickled down over the years. Yeah. I I have to lean on staff back here about how it, how much it might have been in in the, in the past. In the recent years, it's not been much. It's been a handful of fields during the week. Now, some of that is by NYBA's choice because of the admission, and that they generally will only schedule teams one or two times a season because in their mind, if Johnny's playing a game out there and mom and dad and, and Susie and Charlie have to come, it's 20 bucks to get in just to watch Johnny play one game. And so to not overly tax families for the experience. Now it's also not the same experience that Steve was talking about. 
Um, and so they, they offered this dollar off coin for your concession to spend it in there, but we also have already heard through it that if you're paying $4.99 for a hot dog that's not even as good as 7-Eleven, <laughs> I mean, so you, now you're paying $3.99 because you gave me a token for that. So uh, the cornhole groups specifically have told us that they have just become accustomed to eating before they get there and they just pay for the beer. You know, and they have a separate deal to it's canned beer in the back because they don't operate operate the concessions out of the pavilion like the restaurant. So, you know, that I think that's what's happened over time is BLD has just morphed their operating model based on the specific users. And for they if they raised their gate admission from three to five dollars last year. First time they had done it in 14 years, but that's what set NYBA off and said, we're not playing. So they didn't play any games out there last year. New GM came in this year, to his credit, he reached out to them and said, I'm gonna set up a separate agreement, you're gonna go back to your $3, I'm gonna have adult softball come in this gate and youth baseball come in this gate, you charge $3, I'm charging softball $5. So he was trying to mend that relationship and get them back in. Um, but we've all we've already heard from a lot of people that why, if this is a community asset, why are we having to pay? The challenge is that's 50% of their, what has been 50% of their revenue. So if you treat it like a normal park, we don't make money on our ball, community ball field. So who picks up that, that difference? You as a corporation, the general fund? Somebody's gotta pay, because this is, a, this is a, a very expensive operation to run. So those are all those considerations and the feedback that Steve needs to hear from you, the public, uh, going forward. Because um, some of you heard that during the bond campaign on the multi-gen facility. So we have to, you're gonna raise our taxes to pay for this $80 million structure and then it's not free to use? No, it's not free to use. <laughs> um, that's part of the struggle. A lot of people think it should be. So we, we've, helped, we've helped pay for this, but somebody's gotta pay to run it. it you're not gonna generate 100% cost recovery if you're, not, if you're not charging some admission. Um, and you know we've had this discussion, Gilbert, Arizona used to be Bigley Dreams, they're no longer. They have a different operating model now, it's very, very, and almost the exact same footprint as ours, where the city runs it, they outsource the restaurants to the, the operator of the Arizona Cardinals, and then they, during the week, it's free admission for local adult softball, youth baseball, and sports. They don't charge admission, but on the weekends, it's 100% tournaments, and it's all, it's all gate admission. They lose a million dollars a year by doing that but it, they recover some of the operating costs. And so that would be a decision for the city. Are we okay with that model? That taxpayers get to go out there and play on a fantastic new facility that we've reinvested in and is nicer than what we play at Skinner or Chandler or you know McKnight East, but I don't have to pay to get in. You're still gonna make re revenue off the restaurant operations, probably more than nachos at Skinner Park, yeah. if you do it right, so. Those are some of those things too. You know, what 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 model do we want? I don't know if this is a question, but what I would love to have in Mansfield is somewhere where families can sit down and watch their kid play. Like, you know, I'm not talking about play baseball. I'm talking about just play on an outside kind of yard, whatever, and have a nice meal on a nice patio and really be able to utilize that facility if you're able to use restaurant facility to like, maybe not city, but like you were saying, outsource that. And to really be able to use that, not just on game days, but like really be like maybe kind of a destination place to be able to go out there. And and I feel like 
at Mansfield sorely missing that. Um, we have the lot. Um, we have the yard, or what's it called? Backyard. But something even more up than that. And I feel like every time I go to Grapevine or Irving, I'm like, this is awesome, you know. So I think that that is something that would be really an asset to Mansfield if we were able to use some part of that, even of that backyard part, um, to be able to do that in conjunction to the baseball and all that other stuff that we're able to use, but really to be able to fully utilize that amazing space because I think it could be it could be amazing if we were able to have those kinds of things. But also that takes a lot of a lot more work. And I understand that. So be ready to work, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. I think and those are exactly the types of ideas and things that we're looking for here. Like what are what are those other things that we can do with the complex? I mean we touched on one of the like um, line items like what other types of activities outside of baseball and softball? I got a list of them as we had that dialogue. Are there any existing events? Because the truth is the facility lends itself to to be a good anchor to any type of event, right? We, you guys mentioned like a 5K or a walk or fundraisers, et cetera. Um, are there any events that the city currently hosts that could also make sense to move here or expand here or that allow us to be a part of those types of events? <clears throat> experience when you go to you know the professional bull riding or I've only been once in my life but uh, part of that experience is like uh, the food venue you get there right like is there any way to improve the food selections and quality you know like maybe do crawfish boils you know out there I, I would think that would be cost efficient and everybody loves that and, and people will pay for that and it's an experience, right? A festival type thing, like but we don't. You know, so, like, if you've ever been to Lone Star Park, you see everybody walking around, and and everybody's happy to pay, you know, twenty five bucks for their crawfish, including me. And you know, it's overpriced. You know, you're going to pay that, but it's it's a it's a planned part of your experience. And to craft beer, the bar. yeah, yeah, like craft beer, like uh, you know, expand your selection of craft beers. People people love that. That creates an experience. Something people that necessarily don't, you know, look forward to go watching a, a child play. They're not crazy about sports, but they enjoy the experience, the craft beer, the things of that nature. During the day, we talked about Mansfield ISD and the uh, day out program. Could we not facilitate something like that or a daycare center in this small part of this big league dream zone? An area that would bring a lot of revenue would be a daily income when they're not being used much maybe gone at night when the live adult time started cut down the rental expense we currently have we've we've already had some discussions with Fieldhouse or along that same line is could could our kids own program be expanded and or moved to the Fieldhouse this the Fieldhouse USA but this facility could certainly have the same discussion. Yeah. We could label it healthy, active sport things for little kids. I think a lot of parents would sign up. It has a playground there, doesn't it? Yeah, it's already it does. Yeah. It just shut down. When we when we terminated the lease, that was the first thing we yeah. told them. Yeah. For the most part, the equipment is in good shape. There's one slide that would slice your leg open. Other than the slide, <laughs> the rest of the equipment for 15 years old is is okay. The surfacing is horrible. Yeah. Surfacing is just, I mean, it's just trip hazard after trip hazard. So we told them. 
you have 30 more days to operate, but close that now. And they did uh, because the potential was, I mean, huge holes to where if a, you know, kids run around. So if they tripped on it, they're going to hit their head on the equipment. And there's a picnic table in the middle of it. I don't know how or why. I'm assuming probably someone drug it from the open space at one point and the staff never removed it. They just left it under probably to be underneath the shade. But uh, so as far as the pavilion, what what is the city staff's idea? Are, are we hoping to restore that to indoor soccer? Would we want to make that a multi-purpose? Yeah, talked about pickleball. That's what he. That's what's that. That's what he wants to hear <laughs> from you. What do you think? Well, <laughs> I, I'm with Jessica on the diversity and man having indoor pickleball courts that would be. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Not only that, but either minimal cost or free certain times of the week. Um, but you don't want to commit to that wholeheartedly. It would have to be convertible into something else that we could use for yeah. the for the day camps, uh, things like that. Or, but that eliminates it from being soccer, unless you, you have futsal on hard surfaces too. So there you go. You're not okay. eliminating completely, right? That's that's great. I, I like that idea. So multi-purpose complex. All I think it. it could still be rented for indoor soccer. Yeah. Um, there's a big market. Like soccer is huge, and that's probably one of the the people that are always knocking at the door. Like we need more soccer, and when the weather is bad, so yeah. just a place to to play. So it have to be perfect soccer. Well, but outdoor soccer too. If we move the, the gates. Another thing is for the residents, what about a loyalty program? If you come Monday through Thursday to the free times, you get a discount on the weekend. I mean, I can see that benefiting the community. Then we fell a buy into it, but people visiting would pay the regular price. I have two questions. First of all, mm -hmm. currently ticketing admission is paid at the gate entrance, right? But there's a lot of open space. Is it possible to move where? admission is paid so that some things are accessible to the neighborhoods for free like I can go to the dinner still or I can get you know like I don't know when you go to Fort Worth or Dallas I get a voucher that mm -hmm. you know for my parking or whatever I don't I get my mission back if you will that I didn't go to one of the games um, that way it could stay open and, and generate revenue for for the entity and then just take admission as is there a way to take admission going into that area the second thing is is the, the bird's eye view that you provided earlier had, I think, what, a, is it a four and a four or four and a five? Two fours. Two fours. Two fours. So my, is, does, does it make sense? You mentioned that eight is really great for bringing in out, out external things. But you mentioned four. What limitations does that give us if we create anything that might be dual purpose, if we took one side and made it into something else? Mm -hmm. um, does that duality or you know is it possible to to have more flexibility on one side than the other but knowing that that something still draws money in you know don't throw the baby out with the bathwater I'm trying to figure out those processes as well well I, I, I can address some of that because I was on the board when we talked about the new turf okay. is that um, we were ahead of other cities that only had four uh, artificial surfaces it, or it only had four fields or if they had eight the other four were grass okay. and that's why um, we were so beholden to put turf in on all uh, all of them was so the tournaments can play and not be rained out okay. so if you have eight fields you can run a tournament if they're artificial you can run the tournament anyway and so I, that I think that was the prevailing attitude of, have, of having 
it at eight. Am I right? And because no. uh, League City, I thought they they were the first one in Texas, correct? League City. Yeah, and they six, only six had mil. they only had four artificial surfaces. And are those artificial surfaces? I know we just finished paying for those in right. 20, uh, 22. Are those in need of replacement again? Because 100%. if that's the case, if that's the case, then we might need to think it through if we're going right. to change change it out. Then it might be a good time to refresh Absolutely. the concept with it as well. Absolutely, and th that's part of the problem. Is that's probably opening day or near yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's no houses back there. What they what they've been doing is patching the turf, which has inherently right. created a bigger pictures. problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you have more seams now that are potential mm -hmm. tripping hazards. Um, and that will be part of the analysis and potential res uh, recommendations is uh, they, they need to be, the patching isn't going to work. That's what they were planning on doing and even had purchased $13,000 worth of more turf and wanted to know if we wanted it. said no because that would not be our philosophy. They would need to be 100% replaced and potentially the entire field, not just the infields. Right. That'll be part of the analysis as well. Yeah. The useful thing <clears throat> of an artificial turf field is 10 years, 12 years if you're taking really good care of it. Um, so we're well past that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you. Fred. I want to put a tick mark next to the diversity of use topic. I think that that's spot on. Right now, there's zero reason for my family to go here. Um, there is nothing that is offered here other than a parking spot on a busy day at Hawaiian Falls. Um, we don't play ball. We're not going to go. We just don't go. Um, but if there were more here, if there was a restaurant that I could get into from the public and not have to pay admission to get to, that was a, a unique style restaurant or, or offered something different, I'd go. Um, if there was something I could do during the week, if this was a place I could go have lunch at on a work day or, or meet somebody within the city who might live over here. A coffee shop or? Yeah, yeah. yeah that would be excellent. A coffee shop, exactly. Yeah. Uh, or two. Um, I'm a big fan of coffee. The, um, I feel like it needs to have the ability to be activated all the time. Um, we went to, we went on a tour and saw a couple of locations where it was near a sports complex and it was not a game day and we were able to see hundred thousands of people walking around still doing things even though there wasn't a game going on. This just doesn't lend that way. I drove by, I drive by often or once a week and I never see cars in there because of the time of the day that I go by um, went to the golf course last month and um, intentionally drove through this parking lot because I've never been to the parking lot by 360 um, there was one other car in the parking lot it was a guy who was detailing a car he literally drove a car there to detail the car there <clears throat> um, and then the very first question you had on the list is what, what do we need we need to look forward, we definitely need to look forward. We have an opportunity here, but we also have plans in place with our, uh, my Mansfield, the, the master plan, 2020, 10-year master plan. And we've worked through some of those items. We've already checked off some things, but there's still some great opportunity left there that would fit here real well. Um, and so if we get down to the bottom question, any alternative use for the sports complex, we've already done the, the song and dance to gather feedback from the uh, from the community. We've racked and stacked. We've done the analysis of our, our surveys. We've got all of that to kind of know what our community is asking for. And we need to make sure that we take that into consideration um, when we're doing things here. But with that new opportunity, I feel like we should 
we'll weigh both sides. We need to look forward and look at the back. Sure. Um, to, to make a good choice. So we've talked about a miracle field too, that blank space back there, would that be a potential for a miracle field or would we, I, I, I'm not familiar with the logistics of a miracle field. Are they convertible in, in the event? I mean, could we have a miracle game there on Saturday morning and a tournament game there on Sunday? The surface is different. Um, the miracle field is um, a wheelchair accessible, so it's a hard surface. So you wouldn't play a tournament game on it. Okay. But it is a flat recreational surface, right? So there is other uses. Kickball. For use, yeah. Kickball, you can wiffle ball, futsal, et cetera. Yeah. The biggest challenge, we've talked about this multiple times, we've talked about it before the bond campaign and obviously since this, the problem with that space, because it, it looks like it fits naturally, is it needs to be at the front of the park near all the accessible parking. Right. Mm -hmm. I agree. So you have to, you would have to do something different to have accessible parking uh, right there, close to it. Um, so is, does that back up immediately, that green space back up immediately to the railroad? Mm -hmm. It does. I mean, okay. there's okay. probably a, a way to yeah. get uh, access from the maintenance area, a, a, a small road to have a parking back there. It would be awkward. But yeah. the, the batting cages haven't been used since June of 22. Um, I, I can't imagine. Where are the batting cages? Right the smack right. behind the front gate. The entrance on the right. Ah! <laughs> I can't imagine that that they're going. Okay, I see now. Yeah. Okay. Well, and if the gates are on rollers, could we not like extend this gate into this grass area here and build something, or even take up some of this parking lot that maybe is not used? I heard in our last thing that we we're trying to use our parking spaces better or not have as much parking lots. Do we not do food trucks in the back over there by 360 when it's nighttime and why all is closed and all is open space or nothing? Band. I'm just thinking like festivals. Yeah, I think about when we go, I mean, what do I go to Arlington for at this yeah. point? Well, they're hosting festivals and it's up there and they, they're utilizing their lot, right? They're using a lot of those spaces. Um, on weekends, we don't have tournaments or something like that. Is there a possibility to be using the parking lot, like you said, or food trucks and different things to just be bringing life Car to the area? Then Car show, see. yeah, anything. Just. Well, and, and looking at that, when the Fort Worth Cats were still in operation, I saw Def Leppard in that stadium. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And it, it was a, a great setup for that. I'm sure the logistics caused them to not ever have another one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, went school, I went back through and I was looking at the 10-year master plan and just looking at our citywide projects and priority orders and feedback that we received during the tenure, during the planning. And there's so many different different things that families need or want um, that I think, Matt, if we could look at those mm -hmm. um, as a department and see specifically what are, we, what are we still missing and what could we add in a more flexible space. I, I, don't, I don't want it to turn into, you know, necessarily like a Chandler Park where it has a little bit of everything. It needs to have a little bit of everything in the front, but it needs to have some purposes that we can, that don't overlap each other terribly. And I don't know if that's... So if there's certain, certain things that run seasonally that, that don't overlap too much that would work well or we, we would, the amount of staff time or whatever it would take to, to transfer the space, you can, like you said, kind of like the, the seniors, you don't want to be changing every day. But is there a way like, hey, it's a season for this, so let's put out these lines and markers and it's set up for this type of soccer. And then now it's set up for this type of other sport. I don't know. I mean, I just don't know what I don't know, but I just know that's a possibility as well. 
I think much to, for me, it's marketing and, and who are you marketing to and which demographic are you catching the attention of? Is it word of mouth? What access do you have to marketing at low cost? I don't know that that's the X variable there, right? But my thought would be, uh, I don't know if anybody's heard of Meat Church. It's wildly popular. People pay tons of, of dollars, travel overseas to go to Meat Church. Could you partner with, you know, very popular local vendors like that? I mean, that would be something I would go to. And, and I think that it could easily host that. I don't know if that's possibility because I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about replacing turf and this and that and there's got to be a way to drive revenue within that first five years not to lose all the funds put into it. That's my thoughts. I, I have two questions. First of all, the Miracle League thing, my son is actually a part of Miracle League and so I really have a big like, hey, we're going to talk about Miracle League. <laughs> so really, I do feel like that is something that we could offer the community because it was put up for a bond and, and you know it didn't pass. But because we would have to put in so much money for this, if there is one field that they could reposition or they could re, you know just kind of tweak a little bit, as long as as long as they could get to the field, I don't think it really matters that if they have to go that far away. Which you know I don't I don't, I think that our families would do it. Secondly, is how does this work in the transition? Like, Kepra is doing what, and then do we all give it up to somebody else? Or is it, is our goal right now to, for us to kind of keep it? Like, I, we're talking about all these things, but like, who's actually, like, long, long term, who, who's going to run it? We don't know. That's part of what will be determined. Right now, it is closed, and at least for, short-term near future for at least a couple of months until we're deeper into this that's our goal um it is i think through staff and the more visits out there and now with kemper being out there for a few weeks it is clear that none of the playing surfaces are safe we we would be bringing liability upon ourselves in in most of those subsurfaces so and and so even the question today and meeting with them late this afternoon is do we do a little bit of investment to make them safe in the short term, realizing that that may be a wasted investment if we make a if we change the operating model? So that's really what they're trying to to gather, and we'll be gathering from all these stakeholders. Is if the model is going to stay the same, then we put together a reinvestment plan and then figure out who's going to operate it. Could be the city, probably not my brothers, probably somebody else. It could be a hybrid. Um, but if we, as someone referenced earlier, what if we did something different with this half the complex? If it's an outdoor soccer complex or a pickleball or something else, that's a different kind of operator. So we can't put an RFP out on the street until we know what investments are going to be need to make in the infrastructure and then, then ask for operators. Okay. So that's what we're trying to determine is what kind of operating that's model we're doing. Yeah. What is the ultimately, we'll... We'll want to, obviously, with the restaurants, the city will want to outsource that because we'll want to be able to make sure that we offer alcohol and beer. We know that that's going to draw people in. Um, and I think from this experience, we also know that we will likely want to maintain a higher level of control of the operations. Mm -hmm. What that looks like will really depend on ultimately what the facility ends up being operated as so that we know what 
how, how involved can we be with those operations to make sure that we can prevent this from happening further? Because I, I think that ultimately no one has a better interest in maintaining the facility as the city because we know we're investing funds in it and this is what we are providing to our citizens to come and enjoy those remarkable experiences and we don't want them to walk into the facility the way it is right now, so. I think there's, there's some inherent differences in operating models that make sense with control and then make sense with, with less control, right? And we look at like our portfolio of facilities that we manage in, in venues where we're an at-risk operator, so we're leasing the venue from the city, similar to your relationship um, with BLD, although our deals are not that favorable towards us as they were to them. Um, um, in that case, we make our money by driving profitability to the facility, right? So the decision inherently are made for the better of the business, not necessarily the community. So the community there has decided to give up control in order not to have downside risk in the operations because that's on us. So if we operate it profitably, great, we make money. If we don't, well, we are the ones having to pay for that subsidy. On the other spectrum of that, complete control means you run it, you know, the city runs it itself um, or a more a fee for service type approach where, hey, you're running it on behalf, but you're going to kind of do what we say you do. Uh, we're just leveraging your expertise to keep costs down or bring in tournaments, whatever it may be. And there's every model in between the hybrid. But it is important that we figure out what the facility is first. And what I'm hearing a lot today is community access. So it echoes, I think, Vanessa's thought, like, we need to keep control. The city needs to keep more control so that we can position these types of events in there and have community use be, um, be foremost you know, kind of forefront. That being said, there's pockets, I think, that we could have an at-risk operator in, bringing in a restaurant, for example, et cetera, within the facility um, that we can put some boundaries around. So my question to you as an expert in your field, your company and yourself, uh, 30 years ago, people used to bowl a lot. There, There's no bowling yeah. leagues anymore. 30 years from now, are there going to be softball tournaments, and are we better off flipping this into something else? No, I, I mean, I, I, uh, that's a really good question. Um, I get to ask that question about pickleball a lot more than anything lately. Is it going to be the racquetball of the past? Um, I, I mean, the trend in youth sports is right now going in one direction, and that's up. Um, I mean, it's... I think last numbers I saw, it's a $40 billion business, and they think it'll double again in the next five years. Um, we believe in it. Our company is investing heavily in this space. Um, I I mean, it's, I don't have a crystal ball for what happens 30 years from now, but what I do see across the country is that it's becoming an expectation of residents of communities to have access to these types of playing facilities. It used to be uh, an amenity or a luxury if you have it. Parents are literally making decisions on where to live and where their parents, where their kids can play sports and train these days, which is, you know, crazy to think about, but it's true. Um, so where we are today as a community, this is as a resident, I, I, I think we need to have access to that kind of stuff. It's important. Especially when our, home, our new home prices are 700 <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's right. And I, I will say one other thing is your question earlier about people traveling to the facility. I know when we were doing the, um, we were looking at what we should do as far as proceeding with termination or not. We did have our economic development pool, what hotels and what BLD was bringing in as far as hotel stays. 
And surprisingly, they were only bringing in about 5%, which was, again, surprising, because I think when it first came, the, it first developed, it ended up shortly after it opened about five hotels, five to seven hotels developed around that area just to sustain the amount of activity that was happening there. And so for us to now see that within a six to eight month period, they were really only now attributing 5% of the hotel stays really showed us that they were only hosting the tournaments for local people because they would come in and then they would leave that same day or that same night and then come drive back the next day. So I'm not sure what that was attributed to, if it was because of the condition of the facility that they were just not hosting those overnight, day-long tournaments anymore. Could that change based on, again, the condition if we were to revamp it to make it where people are now wanting to hold those three to four day-long tournaments that's possible? gotten several calls from people who are in baseball with that same uh, topic and that they were they would say that they would be able to get uh, tournaments every weekend like up north there's tournaments every weekend right and people come in from all over the country for those tournaments we should be able to do the same thing well, right there off, off 360 where yeah. you have to airport just to yeah, fly so. in but like you said if We'd have to re-market, you know, new management, newly renovate, you know what I mean, to get people to come back yeah. if, they, they they wanted, would, if they came more recently and it's kind of like a one and done for them. It would come. It's a, it's a smaller industry from a personnel perspective than you would think. There's some big players that manage most of the tournaments and events in the country. <clears throat> um, people would come. I mean, it wouldn't take a whole lot to turn on that switch. I think uh, part of our current assessment is kind of what happened operationally before um, we know that in the youth and amateur sports side, um, we all have an average of three spectators per participant come to an event. BLD was focused on a, primarily on adult softball. So that's a, usually a one-to-one. -one. Um, and it, it, you can go, if you go there, if you went there on any night and you saw a softball league game going on and a, kid, and a youth kid game going on, the stands and the youths are full. So we're getting all the parents, grandparents, et cetera, coming along. The softball side is not as well, right? It's just the players on the field. Yeah. So if our goal is economic impact on weekend, the programming mix has to be geared to drive economic impact. So you you steer towards children. And then if you want to look at spending, I, I, I steer towards female and younger because that's the, the way it goes if we're looking at incremental spending by usage. Softball is better than baseball. A softball player that's eight, so it's a lot more than a softball player that's 17. Um, so there's math and science and data behind all that. Um, again, though, it's the operator being in tune with what the city's goals for that complex are. To, to speak to Scott's point earlier, <clears throat> we used to go to the ballpark in Arlington and go to TGIF and eat lunch there and just look at the ball field and nobody's there. I mean, it, it was open to anybody. So if you had a a chain restaurant or some kind of a specialty restaurant at this location. You could have people coming in using it all the time. They could have a full service bar or whatever. And even if you wanted to go there during busy times, you could get maybe a ticket <clears throat> validation. If you spent $20 at the restaurant, you got your ticket validated. You didn't have to pay your entry fee or something. But it seems like to have a restaurant there that's a reputable restaurant that's well known might be a draw to get people there on a consistent basis and then to get more people there for tournaments. I mean, if you got a TGIF there, if you have a, 
whatever, you know, that's popular, um, they're going to come for the restaurant and the events instead of just a mom and pop, you know, concession stand or something. Kind of like Texas Live, just yeah. a little bit lower yeah, scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, really, people still go even when there's nothing there. Yeah. Because they have big screens and they can watch the game. Right. And, are, and are there small amenities that could be added in, like, I don't know, a rock climbing wall, a little zip line, you know, little things that I could pay $3 or $5 to let my 8-year-old sure. son do something while we're there and he's not going to be climbing the walls, you know, there's a play area. There, are there other things we could add on that would be um, attractions that would be not terribly expensive to implement, operate, et cetera? It could be part of your entrance but... fee. If you're paying $5 to get in there, you can use a climbing wall, you know, whatever. So. <laughs> and I like this conversation about, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, or, you know, the dream of big league dreams. Uh, but I feel like we're in a silo, that there's other people that are impacting this in MDC. Vanessa brought that up. Planning and zoning just approved. Uh, Selma, there's a lot of development that's happening just to the south of this. Yep. It needs to work with that. Um, it needs to be in concert with mm -hmm. that. And I think whatever here is going to need to be uh, not only catering for all of Mansfield, but specifically for those people who are right there within, you know, that, that half a mile walk. Um, putting in a, a TGIF or a I'm going to say it at Bennigan's. If it's some other older, you know, I'm kidding. I'm I used kidding. to work at Bennigan's. Did you really? Putting in a restaurant, <laughs> even if it's a chain restaurant. Steak and ale? Yeah. <laughs> these restaurants I haven't been to in a decade. Um, putting in a restaurant where these people who live nearby would, you know, be foot traffic for, for those things. And then, great, it's at a, at a sports complex. And maybe the variety of sports will help with that uh, potential transportation hub nearby. Um, bringing in people from outside. This is a, a really neat opportunity, but I don't think it's just parks. It, it seems much, much larger. Um, it is, and part of our part of our scope, and we're talking parks that eggs about the audience, right? Uh, a part of our scope is to look at those other stakeholders, and um, I'm pretty well versed on the Harvest Point project as well. I've done some consulting work on that <clears> side, so um, and how we how we incorporate that. I, I do see a walkable sector. So you, you mentioned, you know, like if to have tournaments here, we have eight, uh, eight fields right now. If there were only four, what would that do for the availability of tournaments here? Would that just slash it in half? Would that cut it by more than half? I wouldn't say in half. I, I'll say this. Well, first of all, we have other assets in the city that in conjunction could be used towards tournaments as well, right? Sports complex, et cetera. Kind of like a champion playoff. Basically. Yeah, they just have never historically haven't worked together to facilitate that. Um, so decreasing your inventory by four doesn't mean you're gonna have half the number of events. I, I, I will tell you what does happen. Um, our, circles of our circle of influence shrinks as the number of assets go down. So at an eight field facility, we anticipate 90% of the users will drive within six hours. It's a six hour drive time that we can influence people to come to that. That's kind of a typical regional sports complex draw. When you go down to four, that's probably going to go down to two or less hours. So when we look at tourism, the reason we want more assets, we want people to travel from further away. So if you're coming to compete against 50 teams or 100 teams, that's more attractive. You might see some teams you don't see every day locally. If I have four fields, you're going to attract people mostly locally who can come in for a day trip. Uh, but then again, that's just what's our priority. You know, Even if you other used other 
Nope, you could use others as other, long as other you get fields, in. and then yep. including these. So if half of these fields were replaced with another option, the alternative option, what would it do? Would it decrease the legitimacy of this park if you had less fields to play on? And I think your answer is not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, from a pure, pure sports tourism perspective, the preference is to have all the fields in one location and then expand as you need to. So that's kind of the preference, because that's what we're, we're competing against in the industry now. Okay. A lot of municipalities are building 8, 12, 16 field complexes now. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're that it's not a better idea to cut it in four and start doing something else. It just depends on, again, what our goals are. So if we had 8, 10, 12 fields accessible at Skinner, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the same experience. But we have, but you have the 12 field fields. fields. That's right. To Bob's point earlier, if Prop C would have passed, mm -hmm. we'd be under construction by now <coughs> at Southwest Community Park mm -hmm. with That's a brand new cool. soccer complex and literally by next spring could be building new baseball fields at Skinner and really free up what we're talking about today. And then this what is a blank slate. What I was trying to get. Well, that's well, where no. I was going. Right. Well, that's the same exactly line. where I'm going with the possibility. <laughs> trying to that, get the that concept would have, with the trickle effect. Right. And so this would so. be a blank slate for anything that could be used by city, EDC, parks, combination of all the above. Mm -hmm. And then we get 12 or how many, what's the Skinner plan? Is it 12 or more than... That footprint of the soccer complex could have at least 12, depending on the sizes, uh, at least 12. And then? Additional to the nine that we already have. Okay. We need to look at that as well. So if you have ideas to, to, to that's a major pivot, I'd like to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we need to just explore that somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We do. And can I ask one follow-up question on that? So you, you mentioned the 90% drive six hours and the two-hour drive. Our current market, has, competitive market here in the Metroplex has probably changed drastically. How many direct competitors do we have for weekend tournaments that have eight or more higher level professional type of, like what we're looking to rebuild? We will we will have that for you as part of our report. I would okay. be guessing. Yeah, um, but there's, I know today. there's been but some there's several- There's a about. I mean, we're, we're seeing more, com more com competition in that eight-field market, just in the Metroplex. That's sure. what I'm saying. Is that, uh, My point is that then at some point, if, that's, if the market's been saturated with newer things that have come in in the last 15 years, then it might not be the market we want to continue to compete well, in. Just for reference, too, in, just in the last three months, BLD hosted at least three tournaments that were in conjunction with two other cities. So oh, Okay, so they're partnering. Yeah, so okay. eight fields couldn't even cover a third of the tournament. Okay. So they, they partnered quite a bit with Waxahachie mm -hmm. and Ulyss um, and a couple others. So a couple of hundred plus team tournaments. So you're not gonna, you're not gonna accommodate hundred teams at this complex. Now we might be able to handle some of that in center. Okay. Might be another city. So regardless, we can get a piece of the pie. It's just a matter of how, okay. how big of the piece and what kind of events do you attract? And I also wanna comment on your, your crystal ball comment. We don't know you know what youth sports is is on a trajectory and it's great um racquetball is over pickleball we don't know how long it's going to last but the the national conference uh the keynote speaker was a tennis player and they had a recorded video during keynote from Billie jean king 
I mean, racket sports were all over the, the, the traps convention, the national traps convention. Yeah. And maybe it's a regional thing. Maybe we just don't see as much here. Maybe it's other parts, but the vendors, there were tons of, you know, a huge pickleball display and a lot of vendors for pickleball. Um, I feel like, you know, the MADA discussion we had earlier about cost recovery, it's real interesting to, to have that right before this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> if we need to consider options for tennis courts, mm -hmm. this may be a good place for that. Well, along those lines, so I heard somebody say lacrosse. Is that, that's a very limited access sport. Is that something that's we need to be prepared for? Is do we consider lacrosse going into the Skinner renovation? Is, is that lacrosse a trend? I, that's what I'm asking. There's not many places to play it. It's growing, and the lacrosse can be played on any long field, right? Yeah, so. that'll definitely be part of the, the master plan that we're about to start with Southwest Community Park, that those rectangular fields will be multi-purpose, soccer, football, lacrosse. Okay. Cricket. And cricket's growing. Right? Cricket is difficult. It's not, it's not, it is a huge footprint it? and it ties, I mean, you literally can tie up two to three fields depending on the placement of the pitch. Okay. It's not expensive to build, but it takes up a huge amount of space. Yeah. So um, that's, that's the challenge there. Okay. Did um, Big League, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, please. Did Big Blue Dreams have something like Star does where it's like stay to play if you, you know, stay at these hotels that are preferred hotels and they can play in these tournaments? Did Big Blue Dreams have something like that that brought actual people here to stay? They they did, especially early on. The, for a couple of years, I don't think, to Vanessa's point earlier, what some of the things we learned. Number one, we don't have enough hotel rooms in Mansfield. Yeah. And by adding Fieldhouse and Star Center, the Fieldhouse was like three times the amount of hotel stays in the last year for events. Um, and so what's happening is for those events, they're staying in Grand Prairie and Arlington, even when we're hosting events. And so they, they did not, BLD did not do a very good job of working with CVB and the hotels as, as they did in the past. Um, and I think going forward, regardless of what this complex looks like, as a city, we want to coordinate and communicate better with all the public-private partners. And so if BLD is hosting a national tournament with all eight fields for a week long, then maybe that's the week the Fieldhouse doesn't have a national tournament because they're not, they're not going to stay here. So maybe that's the weekend that they have their regional tournament and doesn't require the hotel room. You know, those kind of things. We, we don't coordinate amongst the public-private partners. And I think we can probably do a better job of that and anticipating when. So, and Steve has, he's got prior to this knowledge and ex experience at both Fieldhouse and and BLD. So coming into this, he already had some some direct knowledge of that. And surprisingly, the Star Center, for what it is, has had better hotel stays. Uh, but that in itself has, has been challenging. We we have been. We've been notified by all by participants at all of the public private or the three, because the golf and Hawaiian Falls are a little different. They're not hosting tournaments. Um, that why are the host hotels in Arlington? The majority of, of the events, you know, seem to end that way, and some of it is just because of the lack of availability. We don't have enough beds in the city to accommodate. Yeah. Six, eight, eight hotels, and we don't have enough beds to accommodate nope. these people. They're, they're full on a weekly basis. Because they're full with other people as well as mm -hmm. tournaments, so. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> just events. Yeah. Somebody in 
have, is at a conference in Arlington and they're okay with zipping down 360, 15 minutes for, a, you know, a, a, a better rate because the ones around Texas Live are $300 a night. So, so our hotels may be 70, 80% filled automatically all the time and then you add tournaments on top of that. Yeah, and that, that's something we'll plug Steve in with our CVB to, to get some, some solid numbers, but they track that. And, and I know that's and they're in our building, so we, we hear those discussions a lot that you know, there's no place for the, you can bring this tournament in, it's great, but they're not gonna stay here. There's no, there's no room for them. I'm surprised so. there's not hotels on 360. I mean, on this part of 360, I mean, closer to the venues, they're all on 287. And there will be. Yeah, Harvest, <laughs> yeah. I think Harvest Point is planning for some of that as well. Any other comments, thoughts? Go about 75 minutes on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Can we really narrow it down for you? <laughs> no, this was, this was great. I'll, um, I will have business cards for everyone. Um, if you think of a thought or idea, please just reach out, send me an email, text message, whatever it may be. Um, we have a bunch of these meetings kind of lined up, but it's the process is never done, right? We're always trying to learn as we go through until we deliver that final report. So don't be shy about it. Um, please reach out and it'll only make us better and what we can recommend to the city. So, but appreciate you guys taking the time on this late Tuesday. All right, we'll move to, uh, we'll close our, our work session now. We'll move to citizens' comments. <clears throat> so I'm going to keep my time here. Citizens wishing to address the board on non-public hearing agenda items and items not on the agenda may do so at this time. Sir, do we have any cards? No cards. No cards. All right, we will uh, go to four. There is no items to discuss in executive session. So we will fast forward to uh, item seven, our cash flow statement. Mr. Drew. So we just have the sales tax report in here in a typical fashion. We, there's not a lot of movement in the first quarter of the, count of the fiscal year anyway because we're, we're still kind of projecting to spend everything that we have. <laughs> so our first official cash flow statement will be in your, in your January meeting. Uh, but we do have a handful of vacancies. So as, as usual, we are a little bit under, under budget on our expenditures. Revenue is still holding, um, except for maybe the discussion we just finished. And um, capital projects are all on schedule. So looking good. Uh, the sales tax report, you can see, again, as we talked about earlier, um, not huge growth, but still ticking up. So that, that's a good thing. The December, obviously, the one that will get reported in February is the big month, the, the holiday season. So looking forward to that. Right, any questions about cash flow? Seeing none, we'll move to uh, item eight, approval of minutes. You have minutes included in your packet from our joint session meeting on November 11th. And uh, I'm looking for a motion on these meeting minutes. I'll make a motion to approve the minutes as presented. Thank you, Lindsay. Is there a second? I second. Any questions about the motion or the minutes? Hearing none, we'll go ahead and vote. Uh, those in agreement with an aye. 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 Those opposed by nay. So we got a 7-0. Moving on to item nine. <clears throat> Monthly report in your packet. Again, breaking down our, our capital projects and the status of each one of those. And then our divisional updates with some, some metrics as well as a little bit of 
uh, updates on individual programs, and then at the end, our fall 2023 events and programs, some of the some of the bigger ones listed on there. So I know it's been a long night, so I'll just open that up. If you have questions about any of the information in that, we've got all the staff here who can answer any of those questions for you. So you've got the construction plans for the 3B? They are completed, yeah. So we're working on uh, those. We've got five different either driveway easements or acquisition agreements and one one acquisition, the other driveway access uh, agreements uh, that we're working through. Um, unfortunately, our, our EDC department had started that process with us and that employee left the city. So James has had to pick that portion up, but we're, we're working through that. The plans are ready to go in for permitting. So as soon as we, we get those negotiated, we'll be ready to put this out for bid. Yep. And we're doing a tunnel under there? Mm -hmm. Yes, so they will go underneath that that culvert that exists just north of our admin building on Matlock. With a little kind of, that's the acquisition that's needed. Is that part of the golf course too? Or? Uh, no, but it, they're, the property right next to the golf course, that's the a portion of that is what we need to acquire just to get the trail winding out enough to go underneath it. And then on our side, we already have that land, so we will be able to switch back and turn onto uh, the northern side, east side of Matlock Road. That would be nice. So, yep. Yeah. Item number four, the National Golf uh, oh. restroom facility. I got a, a private tour of, of the bathroom. <laughs> I almost sent you pictures, man. <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, James and Garrett for, for giving me the tour there. Uh, can you give us an update on, on where that is? It's on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> it, look, it looks something like this. Does it have running water yet? It does look similar to that. We do have uh, sewer. Uh, we're almost kind of a power in. And our pictures are scheduled for the 13th of this month. Do we have a, an ETA on usability? Oh, yeah. uh, after the 13th, we'll install the fixtures. Perfect. A couple weeks. Merry Christmas, to, Merry Christmas to the golfers. Are they up to date on payments? They are. Uh, we their their payments are due on the first of the month, and we did receive that that payment, so they're doing well. Of course, Wine Falls doesn't they don't have anything right now. Fieldhouse's next payment is due in January. Star Center is like clockwork. There's is a deposit on the thirtieth, the last day of the month every time. So all the partners are doing well. I think the last time that we spoke to you guys, we had mentioned that we were sending them a notice of default to the golf course because they were. Um, not up to date on their payments and that is one of the terminating defaulting provisions that allow us to terminate the agreement so they did go ahead after we sent them that letter shortly after provide us with payment of those two months and I believe this is the first time we got the december payment before the actual because they were like so. we don't want to be the next big league dream <laughs> we're hoping they continue to provide us with payments as they're yeah, supposed to <laughs> they, they are making improvements to, to the course from what we've seen since we've been out there since we started this project. Anything else from the director's report that you want to talk about? Uh, no, other than council Monday, it's traditional. They have two meetings in one, so an afternoon meeting and then an evening. The consent agenda items will be on the afternoon. Right now, it's slated for two o'clock. That can change just depending on you know the items that, that get put on their agenda, and then the evening meeting. If you, I don't know that we 
talked about this specifically, but the evening meetings are now starting at six instead of seven. So the afternoon kind of gets backed up just depending on the agenda items. We do, we will have the uh, update to the parkland dedication. It's just the fee schedule on the land value. So those fees going up. So pretty simple item. I, I gave an update at the last meeting. Uh, it was actually a special meeting. Uh, I got some direction. Council did want to make that, that change. It's a couple hundred dollars per dwelling unit. Um, and because land values have gone up and they don't want us to be in the situation we were where we had such a drastic increase because we waited too many years and land increases so much. And so I doubt there will be any discussion. Uh, it'll probably be quick. It's the very first item on the consent agenda in the afternoon. Uh, and then we will be working, we're still waiting on our CAPRA award, the actual award. <laughs> so we were going to try to do something at this December 11th meeting, but we don't have it yet. And we want that, we want that hardware. Um, so we will make, make you aware, but hopefully the January 8th, if not the 22nd meeting, we will uh, have that and have it in the chambers and have all our staff and everybody's got a new, got some new swag. Um, so we'll, we'll wear our, our new items. It's got the CAPRA on the sleeve, uh, so yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you for these, by the way. Yeah. You got new name tags as well. Um, so you're just knocking those out, and then we also have shirts in the works. Yes. I'll send out um, a, probably a Google form for you to fill out um, for sizes and colors and things like that, so. Colors. Blue last time. Get away from the royal blue we had for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Unless that's what you want, we can reload with that, but uh, probably not 100% cotton. <laughs> Park dedications in the summer are not farm. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to item 11, board comments. We'll start with Chris and work our way around. I think everything's going great. I think the work sessions tonight were really helpful. I enjoyed hearing about the different big league dream possibilities. So that's about all I have, I think. <clears throat> Um, yeah, same. I'm glad we met in December and uh, a lot of good stuff. I'm glad we did the work session too. That was a uh, lot of good information to share and happy holidays to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a big congratulations to Ann. That's a, a huge yeah. honor and so excited that um, she gets to go have that. So well, oh, some, somebody's take pictures since Ann's not going to be taking pictures. So yeah, somebody get some pictures tomorrow. It's a, it's a, the registration is full, so that was also part of the game too. And we That's, didn't think we were winning. Yeah, so they said, well, we can't bring anybody, so we we're able to secure four spots. I'm just going to turn it over to her to say if she wants her parents or daughter, whoever she wants to be there. Um, but yeah, we'll make sure that somebody pictures, takes pictures. Yeah, it's very very exciting. Shelly, do you have anything? No. Happy holidays to everybody, and again, congratulations to Anne. It's cool that she's getting some recognition for all the PR she does for us. The gold medal that we will receive in Galveston, that's actually because our population has increased. We moved up a class, so you know we're gonna we're just gonna step by step win the gold medal in every single class. <laughs> that's our goal. And their next year, gold the medal. next one. Let me add that to the entryway there yeah. in the office. <laughs> I'd like to thank the board for electing me vice president, although I'm suspicious since I was the only member not there. <laughs> that Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, Bob will do it. Yeah. Bob can't say no. Uh, just again, thanks to Ann for all that she's done. She's a, a huge asset to our, our department and um, 
is incredible what she does. Welcome aboard, two new members. <clears throat> Last month was a you know kind of a special all deal. This is not even the typical meeting. It's still atypical, but uh, thanks for being here and uh, committing to this. Um, and happy holidays. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. And with that, we will adjourn at 824.